You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 439. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 20th of August, 2020. In today's episode, a freight flight crashes in the Congo. People on Air Force One spot a possible drone while landing near Washington. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, Dr. Christmas and his bullet. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 439 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in news and answering in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and joining me today... From her lakeside home in the Carolinas, she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so good to be with you guys. And I'll be here for hopefully most of the show. Um, My apologies in advance. I do have somewhere to be this evening, a prior commitment that I almost forgot about. But thankfully I remembered and um, we'll have a great show and then I'll uh, keep those commitments as well. The perils of popularity. <laughs> and, oops, wait, hang on, not yet, Nick, before we get to you. Oh, and I meant to get a new a new uh, intro music thing. Oh, well, <laughs> um, from his mobile studio in the Valley of the Sun, sometimes. World traveler, airplane mechanic, brightling cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Hey, what's wrong with a little... Uh big old jet airliner well i love it it's just that uh there are people out there that might object to me using that little piece of music oh i hear you i hear you you know i gotta be party poopers like that <laughs> exactly so we're good well anyway i'm happy to be here happy to be here again after a uh, whirlwind session of uh north south flying looking forward to another great show can't wait to hear about it and now from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Hi there, crew. Great to be back with you. And I'm going to be here until I fall off my stool. Okay. Well, that stay tuned that for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, we've been really about 30 already. minutes. Before, so, uh. <laughs> we, we better hurry on with the news before he falls off his... <laughs> stool (laughs) stand 
to buy for news. First item in the news, <laughs> Adoran Air Cargo. Let L410 on behalf of uh, St. Uh, Aja Freco. I don't know. Registration 9 Sierra Gulf Echo November. Performing a freight flight from Kalima to Bukavu in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. With two passengers and two crew reported on approach to Bukavu about seven minutes prior to estimated landing and about 50 nautical miles from the airport around 1530 local of Thursday, August 13th, 2020. However, uh, they did not arrive at the airport. An immediate search for the aircraft remained unsuccessful due to fog in the area. And by the way, this is from Simon Radsky's wonderful Aviation Herald website. A, Mono- a Monusco flight arriving at the same time. Is that the one that we uh, determined was like a really long acronym for like a uh, United Nations relief for something or other and something or other? I didn't write it down this time. Oh, yeah. Was it the one like a in French or something? Yeah, or something. Yeah. I don't yes, know. Yes, yes. Anyway, that, one of those flights, was arriving at about the same time. They reported they did not see anything of the missing aircraft. On August 14th, 2020, the next day, the governor of South Kivu, including Bukavu, reported the aircraft, according to the airport, um, a St. Age Freco aircraft crashed about three nautical miles, miles east of Bukavu's Kavuma Airport in dense forest, just about 495 meters outside of the Kahuzi Biega National Park. There are no survivors. A local reported the aircraft appears to be the Let L410. There's no official word on the aircraft type involved. No official word, anyway. In the afternoon of the 14th, the Aviation Herald received information that the aircraft involved was a L410. Tail number 9 Sierra Golf Echo November. It had been chartered by Aga Freco. Uh, the aircraft was carrying medical supplies for the COVID-19 pandemic and had not been permitted to carry passengers, but carried non-authorized passengers anyway, I think too. Um, on August 16th, the chief pilot of Kinavia reported and provided evidence that uh, Nine Sierra Gulf Echo November had been operated by Kinavia until October 2019 and was subsequently sold to Doran Air Cargo. There's no evidence of a currently at. Well, anyway, so this gets into the little details about who, who is operating, who officially owns the airplane. Um, but um, all we know is that this airplane was performing a COVID 19 pandemic supply flight and crashed. And uh, that's all we know. Thank you. Uh, Liz just looked it up for me. The United Nations Organization Stabilization Mission in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hmm. There you go. I was just about to copy and paste that into the... That rolls right off the tongue. ...chat room, but I won't. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, not really much to say there. It said there was some fog. Um but other than that, I don't know. Is there a high terrain? I don't think there's high terrain around that area, is there? I don't know. No, I've been to that airport, but yeah. uh, I can't. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, uh, aids to navigation being uh, that good in that uh, neck of the woods. So mm-hmm. that might be an issue, perhaps. I've only ever overflown the Congo, but it's it's a bit like cowboy country down there, really, isn't it? I mean, if they don't even know who's operating this airplane, whether it's a legal company or not. Um, it's just sad that, of course, this is probably um, almost certainly uh, providing aid for the country, desperately yeah. needed yeah. aid. Uh, but 
a lot of these airfields, I suspect, have very limited navigation aids, approach aids, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Very, very much. I remember uh, flying up and down Africa. Um, we used to do a uh, uh, intra-Africa flying sometimes um, from uh, Luanda across over to uh, Nairobi. And, um, you know, one of those... Um, types of operations where you want to keep your lights on at all times to you know make <laughs> yes. sure you see everybody else around yeah. you and really you, you only turn them off flying. if you're yeah you only turn them off if you're illegally changing flight levels <laughs> exactly and always you know and, and never never believe someone else's um uh, you know oh, no. radio calls exactly right. uh, we, you know they say they're had- they say they're on a on a base to base to final turn and you know they're still 50 miles out type of thing or, or you, know, so it's, you just never know it's just really a very long base. And, and transponders down there are, are are a bit of a bit of a novelty really so yeah um, yeah they're definitely optional we've had horror stories of our guys coming back on genuine you know on the regular air routes up from uh, johannesburg and there's been a guy below them who's not speaking to anyone they can see him this is at night mind you with uh, they can see his lights and uh, then they hear this voice calling for climb, and he gets denied because the uh, one of our company aircrafts was in the way. So he stops calling. The lights go out. Thirty minutes later, the lights come back on, and he's two thousand feet above him. That's strange. <laughs> How did that happen? Oh, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. There you go. It's uh, and that's and that's while you're flying. It's 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 another. It's a whole other story when when you're you know at the airport trying to get to and from the terminal, and it's a it's an, it's a different story when you're at the airport trying to get to and from the hotel. So it's uh, just, uh, <laughs> lots of stories. Not a lot of, not a lot of yeah, not a lot of communication and a lot of fear factors involved. It no, like. I tell you, I mean every um, when we would go to our uh, our uh, layover hotel in Luanda, it was actually a uh, it, it it's a beautiful hotel, but it did it did did feel a little bit like a military compound and it was um and we had um a very very heavily armed escort from the airport to the hotel and back and it was a uh, it was quite quite the interesting experience i don't yeah. uh, you know I, I don't recommend it i was gonna say you don't miss it uh no no i don't like i don't i like uh i don't at all let's keep it in africa because uh, we have a couple of items here in our news uh, segment today uh, over there in that part of the in that neck of the woods item d uh aircraft accident a cessna 208 bravo grand caravan suffered an accident on takeoff from new fangak in south sudan the aircraft had been chartered by um, non-governmental organization nile hope to deliver humanitarian aid to new fangak uh, it had become stuck in the mud and was pushed out before attempting to take off. The Grand Caravan reportedly went off the runway and hit a tree. The right-hand wing separated and the aircraft flipped over. Two of the five passengers suffered minor injuries. And they had some uh, photos here of the uh, accident scene. Yeah, the thing's upside down. The right wing is uh, is missing. Not in the picture, yeah. Yeah, not there. <laughs> it must be a or maybe it is. Picture. Maybe it's underneath the plane there. Or that could be, yeah. There's something there that uh, looks like it might match that airplane's paint scheme, uh, kind of underneath and behind it. Um, but I just kind of curious about this one. Uh, again, that's all the information we have on it. Um, no fatalities, just a couple of injuries. But 
uh, it kind of begs the question, uh, why did they mention that the aircraft was in the mud and was pushed out prior to taking off? Do you think it had something to do with the balked or the, the, the uh, crash takeoff? Well, I would yeah. assume that the ground conditions were pretty damned, um, you know, soggy. I'm yeah. just looking That's at the picture the... here. I don't see a paved runway. So No, I don't see a runway um, <laughs> no, uh, I'm assuming it's actually... grass and, like Nick said, probably... Yeah, I looked up on Google Maps, uh, believe it or not, because um, I had no idea where this uh, little city was uh, in South Sudan. And I was able to kind of find uh, using the satellite imagery, the the airstrip. And it is not a paved airstrip at all. But I think it looks Mm -hmm. dark. It's like a darker brown compared to the green around it. It's close to uh, to a river there. And uh, so I'm imagining it's um, like a hard-packed dirt, or if it's been raining a lot, hard-packed mud. Or just or soft-packed mud. mud. Or soft-packed mud. <laughs> or just mud. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's yeah. a lot of The grass. fact that it's in the bend of a river makes me think that that's probably pretty swampy ground there. When it rains, it probably doesn't drain very well. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know at what point, but I'm looking at just the uh, nose gear there. There seems to be an awful lot of grass in that stuck up in there. You see that? I'm trying to yeah. find the nose gear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at some, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe mud in the, in the, one of the, in the, in the front gear, uh, little, you know, yeah. vibration there perhaps, or hmm. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know, but uh, I tell you, I mean, I've, I've only taken off and landed in a, uh, in a grass strip once and on a, on a Cessna 206. And, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, uh, you gotta be, uh, you got to be really, really careful. You know, when you when when they teach you about those uh, soft field uh, takeoffs and landings, and when you when you go to take off, uh, you kind of keep it uh, in ground effect until you have enough airspeed mm-hmm. to get off the ground there. And uh, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, you it's want challenging, to and I can't back, you know, you know, pressure while you're taxiing the beginning part of that takeoff roll too, because if you get stuck in something, uh, you know, if there's a rut mm-hmm. there or a ditch or tall grass or something, I mean, just anything you can't see, that's gonna impair your ability to maintain um, directional control or exactly. cause it to get stuck or other bad things. So. All right. Or, you know, or, or bury that nose wheel. Bury the nose wheel. And, yep, exactly. I don't see no. many trees in the background here though. Like what tree did they hit? Maybe you the found right the one tree. The one tree. It's, it's, it's not there anymore. Maybe that's what's under, what's up in the nose here. The tree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found some information on the airfield here that says it's actually made of sand. The oh. Uh, oh. the old Fangak new airstrip. <laughs> well, now there is an old Fangak uh, across the river. Now, maybe that's the... That's, uh, the, that's the town, I think, uh, old Fangak. No, there's actually a town called new Fangak oh. and old Fangak. Oh, right, Fangak. okay. Yeah, right. so make sure you get well, the right the, one. The new airstrip is apparently made of sand. So. I'm sure okay. all our fans in the Sudan will be correct. Yes, yeah, so all those APG uh, listeners in uh, South Sudan, please uh, send us some feedback and set us straight here, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hundreds of you out there. <laughs> Thousands. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Right. Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, let's continue with item B, uh, something oh, that we can transition yeah, relate here. to. A little bit more <laughs> like runways that are hard surface and big jet airplanes. Uh, a FedEx Federal Express Boeing 767-300 freighter registration November 146 FedEx or FE performing flight uh, 1026 from Newark, New Jersey to Los Angeles, California. 
LAX with two crew was on final approach to Los Angeles's runway 24 right when the crew received an unsafe gear indication. The left main gear was not down and locked. The aircraft went around, entered a hold at 5,000 feet while the crew worked the checklists. The aircraft subsequently performed a low approach to runway 24 left. An inspection from the ground could not solidly determine whether the left main gear was down. The gear doors were open. That would indicate to me that there was probably some kind of a gravity, like an alternate uh, gear extension procedure. Usually the gear doors... Well, you know what? I wish that we knew someone that have knows mm-hmm. something about the 767 freighter. If somebody knew somebody, but you know, we, we might get someone next week. So we'll, uh, let's, okay. let's save that one. For let's, a, save it. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and move on to Adam C. <laughs> um, so no, with, the, uh, no, no, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Uh, you know what? Let me read the, the narrative and then you can kind of chime in and give us yeah, some yeah. details about what you think may have happened here and why the gear doors were open on that second pass. Um, Anyway, uh, the aircraft positioned for another approach to uh, runway 24 left, descending to about 300 feet this time. Operations vehicles placed along the runway reported the left main gear did not appear to be in position. The crew advised they needed to talk to operations and maintenance, but they suspected there was not a lot more they could do. The aircraft entered another hold at 5,000 feet for about 40 minutes, and then they performed a partial gear down landing on runway 25 right, which is the longest runway at Los Angeles International, about 45 minutes after the second low approach. The aircraft came to a stop on the center line of the runway, sitting on its nose gear, right main gear, and left engine cowling. The crew evacuated the aircraft through the cockpit window via a rope, and one of the pilots received injuries during the evacuation. And we have uh, pictures here. By the way, this is from Aviation Herald. Um, and there's a video there. I don't know if, got, if you guys got a chance to look at that. That's a local uh, news report from ABC7 News. And in it, they have uh, the video from uh, somebody uh, that was there watching the airplane come in and the sparks and scraping and stuff like that. It looks like it did a really nice job of keeping it right on the center line of the runway 25 right. Um, and... The uh, front part of the airplane is kind of uh, listing upward, uh, so a little bit higher than normal because of the fact the left main gear has appears that has at least partially collapsed. And the thing that I'm scratching my head about, uh, Rick, is why would they use the um, the windows for the uh, rope. emergency yeah, evacuation? That's, uh, I'm, I'm wondering about that one as well because the 7-6 of the freighters, um, uh, freighters don't have... Um, the, um, you know, the inflatable, um, scape rafts or the, 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 uh, the slides oh, that, they don't. Uh, okay. that airliner, no, they don't. Uh, so, um, uh, the 767 and the 747, um, they have, uh, inertia reels. So mm-hmm. on the 76, when you open the, the door, which is the exact same door as, as the passenger version has, so basically, you know, you pull the handle up and then the door kind of, it rotates out of the way into the upper portion of the fuselage there. And, uh, if you're, if you're standing facing the door outwards up over your head and to the right, there is a box with a set of inertia reels, which you hang on to, you know, and you pull it out and you basically, you know, you let yourself off the aircraft with that. And then obviously that, that, uh, that slows your, uh, your descent, uh, uh, all the way to the ground there. Uh, over the, each pilot station, there's a door. 
which has um, an escape rope, which is um, obviously long enough to get you all the way to the ground. And this rope has a set of knots to help you hang on to and let yourself you know, climb down that rope there. And also it prevents you from getting a, a rope burn as you're coming down. But then again, just like you, I don't, I don't, I don't know why uh, uh, they opted for, uh, for the uh, ropes versus the inertia reels. Um, that, uh, and, and also the fact that the, uh, the, you know, the aircraft is listed to port. So that, uh, that, that door is closer to the ground. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, I don't, I really don't know what the, what the, so you're, issue you're was saying there. if they had used the uh, L one door, the left forward door that they do have the inertial reels they could have used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They all, they all, in fact, um, I do believe when I, when I, uh, when I posted a, uh, a, uh, little tour of what the seven, six freighter, um, uh, cockpit and, uh, that whole front area looks like I, I, I did, I do remember pointing that out, you know, but pointed at the, uh, at where the inertia reels are and uh, how to pull them out and all that stuff. So, um, but uh, as far as as far as the other stuff, the reason um, I, I, I looked up the um, the the checklist for this particular event, uh, the gear disagree checklist, and uh, the reason why the landing gear doors were open is because the the procedure itself it 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 tells you to uh, so we let's let's kind of go through this checklist here because I, f- I feel like you guys are going to find this a little little interesting here so the, the the checklist it tells you it gives you three possibilities right whether the landing gear lever is up the landing gear lever is off or the landing gear lever is down and the re- and the, the difference between them obviously up it means that the landing gear le- the landing gear itself is up and the hydraulic system is pressurized and the gear to keep you know, to, to stay up on the 767 we have to real we have to remember that the um once the landing gear is retracted and you bring the landing gear lever to the off position, what that does is that depressurizes the center hydraulic system. And what that does, it, it just basically lets the, the, uh, the, the gear sit on the doors as the pressure from that system goes away. And then when it's time to put the gear down, all you really do is you just let the doors open and then the gear free falls and then it locks. And then the, and then the, the doors close back up. So that's, that's, the reason why you put the landing gear lever to the off position. And then the other uh, option here in the checklist says landing gear lever is down and all gear down green lights are illuminated. That basically uh, are not illuminated, sorry. And basically that's, that's what happened in this, in this case. So basically the, the, the checklist brings you to bring the landing gear lever to the off position. And by doing that, you're depressurizing the center hydraulic system, which is what actuates the landing gear up and down. And it also tells you to use the alternate gear extension. And that is a little switch that sits right next to the lever. And by putting that to the down position, all you're doing is you're electrically releasing the up locks on the gear and the doors, letting the doors open and the gear free fall. And then the gear is um, locked aerodynamically via the side brace and the drag brace. And the reason why the doors stay open is because since you depressurize that center system, which actuates the gear, the doors have no way of coming back up out of the airstream. And that's why the gears, the gear doors are down. Now, interesting thing here to, to keep in mind is uh, as per the checklist, it tells you to use flap 30 for landing. And the reason for flap 30 is because that's the, lar- the, the largest flap setting that we have, which allows for the slowest possible approach and landing speed. And then it also tells you not to arm the speed brake lever. And the reason behind that is because the speed brake lever by, by, by just the system logic, uh, when you touch down and you have wheels spin up and the strut compresses, it automatically deploys the speed brakes. And if you don't have 
one of the gears down, then obviously that's going to bring the, the that's going to make the wing slam down to the ground, and you could lose control that way. And another thing I noticed is that uh, uh, these guys didn't use reverse thrust, which is obviously what you you, you don't want to do that because also by system logic, once you bring the thrust levers to the idle position and you pull either thrust uh, reverser uh, lever up, that'll automatically deploy the speed brakes as well. And you want to mm-hmm. keep those speed brakes uh, stowed to let that wing down slowly. Um, oh, you want to fly that thing I think down. The, exactly. They, I, they did a fantastic job. They kept it right on center line. It was just textbook. They couldn't have done it better. It was greatly, greatly, great, greatly fun. I think I read somewhere in the comments that this airplane was only like three or three and a half years old. Pretty new airplane. Three years old. Yeah. 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 It's three years old. I've actually noticed. So FedEx has been flying um, into Charlotte uh, in the mornings at like 630 or so. And so I see it a lot when I'm on my way to to work. It's always a 7.6 and it's always a brand or relatively new 7.6. The oldest one I've seen has been like three years old. So I thought that was just trying to keep up the standards at Charlotte. Yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. But, uh, it's a class yeah, place. it's going to be interesting to well, see only what, what happens here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Three, uh, three years or three years or newer. Well, that's what the no tab yeah, says. Yeah, we have, a, we, have a, we have we set a we set a standard. So yeah, that's you why know. you know honestly that's why they stopped flying the Mad Dog in there. Well, it's yeah. just too old. <laughs> that's that's really just what way outside of the really standards. I know, way. Way outside. All right. Well, well done, uh, crew. And uh, sorry to hear that uh, one of the pilots was injured, but it. I, I don't think it's a, a super serious injury. I think that uh, I read somewhere that it was like a maybe a fractured heel, which does sound pretty painful. But ouch! No, that's um, yeah, that's ouchy for yeah. sure. All right, um, ready to move on to uh, this one? I thought we'd have fun with this one. A balloon accident. We don't have these very often on the APG. Oh, they have all the time. Bloody dangerous things. <laughs> and now Stand our for balloon expert, <laughs> Captain Nick, is going to tell us about this incident. Uh, let's see. A hot Here's the narrative from aviationsafety.net. A hot air balloon was caught by a gust during landing and bounced several times. Four of the seven occupants were ejected from the basket. Then the balloon slid down a mountain into the direction of the River Rhine and was finally found entangled in trees with the remaining three occupants. Sadly, the pilot of the balloon was killed, and at least two passengers were heavily injured. So, not a not a happy ending to this outing on the uh, Rhine River. No. Um, and Definitely there's a, not. a picture there about halfway down this uh, embankment of a, um, a hill um, right next to the Rhine River. Um, you can see the... Uh, the blue canopy of the uh, hot air balloon collapsed. Yeah, it's a pretty steep piece of terrain. Looks pretty inhospitable. I'm wondering where he was trying to land. I don't know. Maybe somewhere know. on the top. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, but I don't. I, I don't know. Um, really doesn't give a lot picture. of detail uh, regarding exactly. You know. I mean, what, there's a lot more like just open grass at the top of the little cliff area there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps he just down lower, misjudged just, the landing distance required. I guess we'll find out once they uh, recover the black boxes there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the wicker box? Yeah, yeah the wicker yeah, the box. Uh, I was trying, oh. to, well, trying to share the screen. For some reason, I'm having difficulties just so people could see the picture of the thing. Um, 
yeah, not working at all. In fact, everything's frozen. <laughs> yep, you're frozen. Let's just oh. get this frozen, Joe. You're back. Yeah, you're back. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at we're oh, look. Uh, we're seeing many many different desktops. Okay, it's very very confusing. I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really pushing so it today. With the yeah, you stare into that uh, image long enough, you'll open another dimension. <laughs> I know. I was afraid, afraid that we might. And, and you know what's really weird about that is, isn't the fifth dimension the uh, group that sings Up, Up, and Away? It is. You got it. <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, well, see how it good. all kind of ties in? Oh, man. That was good. <laughs> terrifying. Yes. Speaking of terrifying, uh, you're sitting um, in your house at night, and uh, uh, you don't really hear anything because it doesn't look like the engines were operating on this uh, item E. Uh, and uh, you hear a big crash. And this was sent to us uh, by Bob Lufkin, one of our APG community members. He said, this is next to my friend's house. Plane came down a little short of the runway. Pilot and passenger walked away. No one hurt in the house. And this was in Groton, Connecticut. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how far. Two and a half miles from the Groton, New London airport. I don't know. If I crashed that airplane in somebody's house, I'd run away. Yeah, I run away really quickly. Maybe nobody yeah. saw us. Like, nothing, right. nothing to see here. Just you yeah. know, a <laughs> couple quick steps and then take off running. From the Connecticut yeah. Post, I think ctpost.com, uh, Groton, Connecticut, call it what you want, but no one died or even was seriously hurt at Ken Johnson's house on Ring Drive at Donna Drive Monday night, even with that twin-engine Piper that crashed into his living room. It was a twin-engine um, Seneca, I believe. Uh, did I put that information here or not? I don't think I did. Mm, no. um, but I did find it on, uh, by the way, Liz, I was able to find it on aviationsafety.net. So they was it was actually uh, logged. Um, there was no fire. Hmm. Uh, Johnson just calls hmm. it pure luck. But his daughter, mm-hmm. Tammy De La Cruz, and several neighbors who saw it Monday night or in the hours since have all offered another theory. Um, De La Cruz says it's a miracle who's married to State Representative Joe De La Cruz, a Democrat in Groton, sitting in a chair across Ring Drive from the house Tuesday morning. I said to my dad, there's an angel that's on your shoulder. And he said, nope, that's an airplane on top of that house. (laughs) (laughs) The way to get around this thing is, uh, you know, the pilot dressed up as Santa Claus with a bag of presents. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Be like, like, what? Yeah, Yeah, it's August, but, you know, I'm just... Practicing, trying to be proactive and uh, exactly just practicing yeah so uh not a lot of information here uh they did say that the national transportation safety board is going to be investigating the uh, crash of the pa-34 into the house because it's not normal for the pa-34 to land on the roof of houses two and a half miles from the airport um having, having said that it says investigators are not traveling to the scene so oh, they're not Oh, so presumably mm-hmm. they're relying on people's oh, okay. witness testimony. Yeah. Like, well, it's an angel. Yeah, they probably, uh, as Liz is saying in my ear, she's, is is there something to the fact that there was no fire? Um, maybe could that possibly mean that Bit there was clue. no fuel <laughs> on board the airplane? <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, I don't it know. Sounds could be. Um, plausible. Yeah, at least quite plausible. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Bob, for sending that in. Let us know if you uh, hear about uh, what may have happened here uh, as the investigation continues. 
Um, let's see. The next one in the list in the news is an ATR-72, Golden Myanmar Airlines. Am I saying that right? Myanmar? Myanmar? Myanmar. 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 Yeah. You know, Mar, Myanmar, we went to the store. Um, airlines, Avion de Transport Regional, or ATR 72-212 Alpha, registration X-ray, Yankee Alpha Juliet Mike, performing flight 506 from Mandalay to Yangon, um, Myanmar, with 72 passengers and five crew, landed on Yangon's runway 21 at 1637 local time. When both nose wheels separated from the strut upon touchdown, the aircraft came to a stop about 2,100 meters or 6,900 feet down the runway, resting on the nose gear strut and the main wheels. There were no injuries. By the way, this uh, occurred back in August of last year, 2019. Um, let's see. Myanmar's DCA, Directorate of Civil Aviation, reported the landing gear failed while landing at in uh, Yangon. Uh, the runway needed to be closed for a couple of hours. A heavy downpour took place at the time of the landing. So weather was a factor here, I believe. Uh, the On 14th of August 2020, Myanmar's AAIB released their final report, concluding the probable causes of the occurrence were when the aircraft was in short finals, the power setting was inappropriate, and the approach speed exceeded the stabilized approach speed criteria. Okay. Uh, the pilot in command decided to continue with the landing despite the destabilized approach and being advised to conduct a go around by the co-pilot. Shut up, co-pilot. Due to insufficient flare, the nose gear of the aircraft contacted the runway first oops, instead of the main gear in a normal landing. The excessive load on the nose gear as a result of the aircraft's abnormal landing attitude resulted in the nose gear collapsing there we go so uh, the aaib summarized the sequence of events uh, they received the aerodrome information from the control tower quote heavy rain on the runway visibility less than 1.2 nautical miles thereafter the pilot in command took the control of the aircraft from the co-pilot give it to me yeah Fool. i was gonna say with the words hey watch this watch this <laughs> Hold my beer. Wait, oh just my. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, no. No, no. He did not say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not a quote from the report. I am not implying that or suggesting that that was a factor here. Because it was not. Okay. Uh, because of the heavy rain, the aerodrome operations were suspended. Consequently, the aircraft made the holding over HGU VOR at attitude, attitude, no, altitude. I think that's a misspelling. Uh, 10,000 feet. For about 25 minutes as per ATC's instruction. After about 25 minutes of holding, the visibility over the Yangon International Airport improved and aircraft were permitted to land. The incident aircraft made a descent to 3,000 feet and cl was cleared for the ILS approach to runway 21. ATC instructed the aircraft to report back when the approach lights were in sight. When the aircraft was about three and a half miles nautical miles from the runway, the approach lights were visible and the flight crew reported to ATC that the approach lights were in sight. When the aircraft was about one and a half nautical miles from the runway, the rain intensity increased. The co-pilot asked the pilot in command whether to go around or stabilized. The PIC replied that the runway was in sight, so he continued to land the aircraft, ignoring the fact that the aircraft was not, uh, the approach was not stabilized, I guess. 
The uh, aircraft landed with a nose-down attitude on the runway. It bounced four times forward and came to a stop about 7,000 feet from the threshold of runway 21. The uh, aircraft encountered a nose gear axle rupture, and the right nose wheel broke off. Yeah, so what we have here, let's see, the uh, the impact that first touchdown uh, on the nose gear was 1.83 G. Yeah, that's that's hard. Now, I guess... Yeah, that'll, that'll make you bounce. I've never, I don't think anybody here on the crew has ever flown the ATR, um, but from what I understand, it's a very, um, it's either like zero degrees of pitch attitude and maybe even slightly lower. So it does come in in a slightly nose down kind of attitude, but I guess when you bleed the airspeed off in the flare, uh, you you transition so that you, you touch down on the main gear first. And apparently this airplane had so much smash coming in probably because of the weather conditions and other other things going on uh but uh there there was no way for the captain to um get the the pitch angle high enough to to prevent hitting the nose wheels because of the speed i'm guessing yeah and, and as far there's as actually as far a nose down uh for it's applied on the control column too just yeah to that's touchdown. another thing that yeah. wasn't so great mm. yeah yeah, and then I wonder what their uh, what their um, criteria for stabilized speed is because um, it kind of, I mean, and throughout my career it's kind of changed a little bit from plane to plane. Uh, it's um, so uh, it, it's usually reference speed, which is one point three times VSO, your stall speed in the Atlantic configuration, mm-hmm. um, plus five. So you also you always add five knots additive there. So you, you fly the entire approach of VRF, whatever your VRF is, plus five knots. Those five knots usually bleed off. No, they're not usually. They have to bleed off during the flare, so you touch down at VREF. And um, stabilized airspeed means that you stay at VREF up to plus 20 on the 7.4 and 777s and up to plus 15 on the 767, 757. So, And that is a lot of airspeed. If you're, if you're flying at reference speed plus, say, 25, that's, uh, that's a lot of a lot of airspeed to, uh, to, to bleed off part of landing. And now there's, there's, there's instances when you would actually have to fly an airspeed higher than VREF plus 5, and that's when you have uh, a very strong gusty winds. And actually, the, 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 the manual itself tells you, to, um, uh, you're supposed to um, uh, add uh, half of your headwind component plus all of your gust wind uh, component up to a maximum of VREF uh, plus 15 or plus 20, depending on the type of aircraft you have. Um, and the reason behind that is because if when you're, when you're flying in very windy and gusty conditions, you don't want your uh, airspeed to go below your reference speed because that could, uh, you know, the bottom could fall out and that's, that's no good either. So, uh, but to put yourself in a position where you're flying that high above reference speed to put you outside of that safety uh, area there, it's uh it uh, you know it's it's a big problem. I wonder I wonder what happened there. Well, they did say that the um, the entire descent and approach was flown on autopilot. The autopilot was disengaged at 120 feet, gear down, flaps 33, uh, 129 knots indicated uh, was the uh, V approach speed plus 13 knots, 2.91 degrees nose down, winds from 271 degrees at 17. Over the next 15 seconds, the winds decreased to 12 knots. The indicated airspeed varied between 125 and 129 knots. The rate of descent decreased from 600 to 130 feet per minute. After the aircraft descended through 15 feet, 
AGL two nose down inputs, setting the nose to 1.8 degrees nose down and control inputs to decrab were recorded. The rate of descent increased. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so it looks like, you know, obviously not um, stable weather conditions. Looks like the winds were kind of uh, variable and, and uh, changing in velocity. Uh, but it did also note that there was no um, ground proximity uh, TAWS wind shear caution and, nor a sink rate warning were recorded. So there wasn't any of that going on. Mm. So, Yeah. Looks like just an unstabilized, you know, so many times we talk about it on the show where these, uh, we have incidents or accidents because the air, the, uh, flights continued in a, um, unstabilized or destabilized, uh, approach. And here's another thing. When, when, when conditions are, are gusty and windy, it behooves you to take control of the aircraft early on, because if, if, you know, if, if you're going to disconnect the autopilot at a hundred feet off the ground, you have basically zero room to react to anything now. And it doesn't give you that, a good feel for what's going on. You it, know, exactly. It's going to be a surprise. Like, Oh, Hey, so, wow, just like, a, a, like in baseball, I know that not everybody listening knows a lot about baseball, but you know, before you go up to the batter's box, you uh, take a bat and you start swinging it. You kind of start getting used to the motion of your swing and everything else. You don't just grab a bat and just walk up to the home plate and start swinging at pitches, right? You know, you kind of get a feel exactly. for the bat. And it's the same thing you want to do as a pilot. Uh, you want to get a feel for the airplane, especially in conditions such as this. Exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, the... Uh I mean, I, we can we can just leave that one there. I, th- I think we've said enough. But yeah, yeah. just uh, just you know, disconnect a little earlier. And uh, if 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 you can't see, then just 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 go around. And when it gets like that, it's you know, your your flight director's going to be all over the place. So it's 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 a it's an entirely visual maneuver. And by why by what I'm reading here, the fact that there was a lot of um, a lot of rain just prior to touchdown couldn't have helped. And so, I think that the uh, the co-pilot maybe could have been a little bit more assertive. Instead of saying, uh, so what do you think, boss? Uh, go around or are we going to keep going here? What are we doing? Uh, maybe uh, something it, more like, let's go around. Like a, a, a formal call uh, for the captain to make the decision whether to the approach is stabilized or mm-hmm. whether they go around. We used to have the, a similar call. Uh, we mm-hmm. took it out. Um, but uh, it sound, uh, to me, it sounded like it okay. was just their way of uh, getting a decision. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, we, we we do have a we do have a a, uh, uh, a stabilized uh, call at a thousand feet um, above a uh, field elevation or, or touchdown zone um, above the runway. Uh, the airplane's going to call out a thousand feet radio altitude, and then at that point, mm-hmm. you say either stabilized or unstabilized, go around and and at any point from that thousand foot gate all the way to touchdown. Uh, if it gets to the point where you become unstabilized, or you readily send us to grade, or you just or you just lose sight of the runway, because there, it's it's happened to me many many times where, oh man, just going into Luxembourg, I remember quite a bit. Um, uh, you're coming through maybe 500 feet, and you enter this very very thick layer of fog that you can't see through. You can you can see through it vertically on a slant range. But not when you go in it, you lose sight of the runway. So, oh. and, and if you don't break out by minimums, you, you have to go around. So, and, and that happens obviously below the thousand foot uh, gate. So, 
uh, a go around is always always an option, as the song says. So. Yes. You can always go around. All right. Um, regarding that thousand foot uh, stabilized call, it's not a formal uh, required call at Acme, but that's one of the things that I add uh, when I, I'm pilot monitoring. When we go through thousand feet, you know, we are required to say either clear to land or not clear to land. Um, and, uh, I always throw in, you know, stabilized parameters or met or something to that effect, just so that, yeah. although, you know what I've been, um, uh, in, in Hong Kong, not too long ago. Well, actually uh, about a year ago, I was, uh, I've been clear to land in Hong Kong at, you know, 300 feet, maybe. You know, so that, uh, you can get, you can get your clearance to land, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not right, saying right, right there. I'm not saying it's required that you have the clearance to land at that point, but it's no, just kind no. of a cue for us to like yeah. be aware that um okay a thousand feet you're not clear to land yet mm. so be aware yeah. <laughs> we still need yeah. that clearance. yeah and there's and there's and you know certain certain i, I like it how certain people different people have different things you know like for well, actually for us our, our, our procedure is is uh the the nose landing light uh it's off until you get your clearance to land and then i, I what i do is and i've done this forever is uh once we get to top of descent and we begin go, going you know going down i'll start a timer and that'll remind me of a couple of things. The first one is to make sure that I go from from uh, uh, Q and H to Q and E. Uh, sorry, from Q and E to Q and H. To, so at, at transition level, to go from uh, twenty nine ninety two to whatever the local altimeter is. And then once I get my clearance to land, I'll 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 switch the t- the, uh, the the chrono- the chronograph off. And that is a reminder to me that as long as I see that timer going, I haven't been clear to land. So as long as as long as you get it done and you don't land without a clearance, got to get her done. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving on here uh, from aviationsafety.net. Um, an aircraft accident, a Rockwell Saberliner. It's kind of an old airplane. I think it was built in 1978. Um, it's a Saberliner 75A, November 400 Romeo Sierra. Will never fly again. The uh, Venezuelan Air Force detected an aircraft without a flight plan operating at a low altitude near, uh, Rick, can you pronounce P-A-R-A-Guana? Paraguana. Okay. Venezuela. It was forced down and crashed at a beach. Both pilots were killed. And uh, so in this, there was a copy um, of the um, uh, of the tweets from the Venezuelan Air Force, and it was all in Spanish. And so I ran this through Google Translate, and the first uh, picture, the uh, accompanying uh, text was, uh, let's see, hashtag last hour, in joint and sovereign action are combative at C-O-D-A-I underscore F-A-N-B, I'm not sure what that stands for, uh, detected through its exploration systems, an illegal aircraft which was flying west of the, what was that again, Rick? Paraguana, Paraguana, Paraguana Peninsula without a flight plan, and then the uh, uh, text for the uh, following f- photograph said, "In view of the fact that the aircraft proceeded to perform evasive maneuvers at low altitude, it was assisted and persuaded by hashtag AMB aircraft for which it lost control, rushing to the ground." <laughs> the Hashtag FANB continues to permanently monitor our airspace. In other words, don't mess with us, people, if you don't have a flight plan. I just love the, the maybe lost in translation here, but uh, 
the uh, aircraft was, quote, assisted and persuaded, and it lost control <laughs> and mm-hmm. rushed to the ground and crashed. There's a picture of the uh, Sabre liner um, at a... Uh, at the shoreline uh, in the, in the that's water. A, that's a post persuasion. Yes. That's after mm-hmm. the persuasion. Mm. So if you're thinking about like doing some illegal flying activity in Venezuela, uh, like drug running or whatever, I'm not saying that that's what happened here. Uh, but uh, you should be very careful because you might be assisted by the Venezuelan air force mm-hmm. and persuaded <laughs> to, to crash. <laughs> Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Anything to comment upon? Yeah, no. I'd like to know what airplanes they have in their Air Force. I don't know. Mm. Didn't say. It's interesting that November could... registry. Yeah. Well, that was the one. Yeah, yeah. November four hundred. Perhaps it was um, ob- obtained um, via questionable means as yeah. well. Mm. Huh. All right. Uh, oh wow, they've got uh, F sixteens. Oh really. Wow, that's and very Sukhoi persuasive. SU-30s. What's yeah. oh, so, that? A, yeah, um, I think the the bloke should probably have uh, landed. <laughs> Although, they, just follow maybe me. Maybe he was trying to on the beach. And they just <laughs> yeah, they did. Well. They landed. They landed. Yeah. Not oh, very successfully. Right. Yeah. Although, uh, on, on, yeah, going being escorted to an airfield might be safer next time. Yeah. Or filing a flight plan. Well, it depends on how well they were taking that assistance and persuasion. Yes. <laughs> they may have um, resisted and, uh, yeah. You don't want to resist, apparently. No. Resistance is futile. Yes. Right. So true. All right. Item H. Got a lot of news today's show. I think because yeah. we were afraid that we weren't going to have enough feedback and now we have plenty of both. <laughs> so. That's fine. Gonna, yeah. We love it. it. Makes me happy. Yeah. Makes Liz happy. She just told me. And that's the uh, that's the most important thing, I think, making Liz happy. Um, JetBlue A320 at Portland on January 20th, 2017. So this is a few years back in January 21st, 2017. Fumes injure captain. Court confirms causal link. Again, this is from the Aviation Herald. Um, JetBlue, and I think we talked about this fume event when it, or shortly after it happened in 2017. Uh, and then... Uh, some time has gone on. Um, just a reminder of what happened here. A JetBlue Airbus A320-200 was performing flight 1205 from New York uh, JFK to Portland, Oregon, PDX. was descending towards Portland when the flight attendants and passengers complained about a foul odor in the cabin. The aircraft landed without further incident. The crew, different from the crew the following day, requested medical assistance for the arrival and wrote up a fume event. Neither crew nor passengers needed medical treatment after assessment. The aircraft had been dispatched for the flight under minimum equipment list requirements with the APU disabled two days earlier. The deactivate, and we've seen this before, the uh, deactivation of the APU was done after black smoke was observed from the APU after shutdown at the gate. A third captain on the previous day, January 19th, had already reported an odor in the cabin and produced a tech log entry. However, no maintenance action occurred both after his flight on January 19th and January 20th. The following day, the flight crew arrived and found two open smell events noted in the tech log and requested maintenance. However, at Portland, the local contract maintenance was not permitted to do engine run-ups. Thus, on request by company maintenance, the flight crew attempted to isolate the problem by performing three engine runs prior to scheduled takeoff for their flight 1206 back to uh, New York John F. Kennedy. 
at 6.30 in the morning. During the first engine run, the captain of the flight checked the cabin and found the foul odor throughout the cabin, while the first officer, who remained in the cockpit, did not notice any odor. During the second engine run, the captain and first officer, according to court documents, uh, both smelled a very apparent choking, burning odor like dirty socks or an oily smell. It was the worst toxic fume event claimant had experienced as a pilot. Both claimant, I guess the captain um, is a claimant here in the court proceeding, and the first officer immediately developed headaches and were coughing, had to leave the airplane to get fresh air. The first officer also had throat irritation in the form of dryness and hoarseness. The captain fell down on the jetway, and a mechanic ran up the stairs to the plane and said, Oh my God, there's a haze in here. Uh, The captain and the first officer re-entered the plane for the third engine run, and the odor was again very apparent to both of them. The first officer was still coughing, and he had a headache focused on the front of his head, and pain was developing behind his right eye as if someone was poking him in the eye. The claimant was coughing. His eyes stung and watered the right side of his body, shook with tremors, and he had mild shortness of breath, headache, and congestion. He also had some ulnar aspect numbness uh, in his forearm. What's that? Show me stuff. What is that? Oh, your funny bone. Oh. Okay. Like you bang your your funny bone and Ah, okay. So he had some of that going on and uh that resolved after a couple of days. Ooh. Um Yeah. So the captain shut the engines down. Pardon me? Yeah, he did fall. So I don't know, maybe that's why he could be, yeah. Uh the claimant, the captain, shut the engines down after the third run and instantly opened the flight deck windows to get fresh air. As the jet bridge was reattached, one of the in-flight crew members saw haze in the main cabin. Um, Claimant contacted maintenance control, reported what happened. Maintenance agreed that burning oil probably leaked through an engine seal into the ventilation system. A February 22, 2017 engineering disposition report confirmed that the airplane APU was cracked and leaking oil with oil contamination into the ducting. That report of oil leakage in the engine and ventilation systems is very typical for fume event chemical exposure cases and confirmed a pathway for jet engine oil uh, pyrolysis products to enter the cabin air. Um Neither the FAA nor the NTSB list either of the occurrences. No investigation was apparent. Uh, So I I guess because this happened in Portland, Oregon, uh, the captain and first officer filed um, claims with the Workers' Compensation Board uh, of the state of Oregon. And I think uh, based on looking at some of the findings, the court orders, and I'm not going to go into each and every one of these things, but I'm trying to summarize a little bit. I think that JetBlue said, "Yeah, this doesn't really apply," and basically said, "No, we're not going to, we're not going to uh, give the uh, the plaintiff, uh, the cat, or the claimant, uh, the captain, or the first officer any money or back pay or anything." Again, I'm kind of trying to read between the lines here, uh, but the uh, this was taken to court, and that's the reason why we're talking about it now because just very recently. The uh, court on the 31st of uh, July uh, said basically every single um, claim of uh, com- um, co- compensation and, and other claims uh, were, were overturned. And basically, the court said to JetBlue, yeah, you 
have to do this. Uh, you can't just say we're denying the claim. Uh, so again, I'm not a lawyer, so I could read all these things and maybe somebody that has a law degree could, uh, kind of make more sense of it. But, uh, I think you've got the gist of it, uh, Jeff, uh, yeah, all, all the findings were overturned and, uh, JetBlue was required to compensate the, the crew. Uh, I, I mean, the, the question I would ask is why the guy having developed these symptoms went in for the third uh, engine run. I'd, I'd say after the second one, I'd yeah. be going, nah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it looks broke. like there's a problem. I so... feel like rubbish. It's broken. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm trying to figure <laughs> that. That was after he already collapsed in the jetway? Yeah. Okay, and then so, they did another one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, I understand, yeah. Maybe he was already suffering. Then I go brain uh, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice, shame on, shame on me. That's exactly as far as it goes, right? I don't yeah. think there's a third option. Pretty scary stuff. You know, we've heard about this yeah. kind of a uh, situation um, uh, before, and especially involving the APU. In fact, I think I recall something uh, Captain Al had had mentioned something about this is not an uncommon, or maybe you did, uh, Captain Nick. It's not an uncommon thing for if a APU is taken out of service, they have to do certain things to prevent something like this from happening. Maybe yeah, I'm not familiar with what they are required to do, but okay. uh, certainly you can end up with uh, oil still uh, residual, still in the air conditioning uh, ducts, so that it can be continue to be drawn into the aircraft even after the APU has been uh, not not used uh, by the engine air conditioning um, feed because eventually you get to the point where the galleries all come together. It doesn't matter what the supply is, whether it's engine exactly. or APU, you're still going to use that residual oil still going to yep. be there. Um, the interesting the thing I thought from this story was the final bit, which was from the weekly update from uh, your JetBlue Master Executive Council, which is presumably their union council, which said that uh, they mentions the captain was exposed to fumes whilst performing an engine run-up. Uh, as a result of the fumes event, he has had numerous health problems, been out on medical leave for months, and may never return to the flight deck. So Ooh. that's a pretty serious event as far as mm -hmm. he's concerned. Yeah, very serious. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, our, uh, our union finally got... Uh, us to be able to uh, actually turn down doing uh, engine runs altogether. We just don't do them, period. Yeah. Not, well, because there's just, you just open yourself up to so many things going wrong from this kind of stuff to, you know, damage to the engine or either, or, or even a, a, um, a injury to maintenance personnel and then, you know, mm -hmm. you're liable for it. So it's just. Yeah, it's an interesting point uh, you bring up. Uh, I wish I'd had that advice when I was a very junior captain. We pushed back and uh, started. And as soon as uh, we, I tried to advance the throttles to taxi the aircraft once, um, one of the engines uh, failed, got an ECAM warning, engine failed, the engine wound down. Uh, so we eventually got ourselves dragged back onto the stand and the engineers came on board on a full aircraft, uh, full of passengers. And uh, they uh, looked at me and said, well, can you just start that engine up and show us what happened? So I said, yeah, okay. So uh, I fired up the engine and then they started playing with the throttles uh, and the uh, fault reoccurred. But it, now you mentioned that um, wreck, I'm going, why was I starting that engine? It's had an engine failure. 
I should be out of the flight deck. If you want to start exactly. the engine with the airplane full of passengers, you do it. <laughs> but, that, but I think that it's engine part of, gave it, way, and uh, it, it had uh, you know disintegrated. Perhaps call a fire exactly. or whatever. And, and I'm the one what, sitting, <laughs> sitting at the hot seat. And that goes for absolutely everything. We had a we had a uh, an issue uh, last week with. Um, with a uh, hydraulic leak, uh, the right hydraulic system that uh, it operates, the it, it, it ended up being a um, a faulty uh, anti skid valve, which is tied to the parking brake. Um, and so uh, maintenance, um, they were doing. We, we show up to the airplane, uh, they were working on it, and uh, we ended up uh, taking you know. A, pretty hefty delay which actually had to put us back into rest because we were going to time out and then obviously uh, sydney has their uh curfew uh at uh, 2300 local and then uh, well, that's the reason why you couldn't be on the show with us uh, last e- episode exactly right i, yeah, I, I uh, threw we, we up, took threw, a delay and then I, yeah we couldn't uh, exactly we couldn't do it and so uh here's uh maintenance uh working on the problem and I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in my seat because I'm 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 thinking these guys are going to get the problem fixed and it's uh you know we're going to be fine, uh, and then uh, I see the engineers downstairs by the uh, by the, uh, the 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 main landing the left uh, main landing gear there up in the wheel well you know with with flashlights and all sorts of things and ladders and stuff and then the engineer and the and the flight deck up with me he's uh he asked me to pressurize the right hydraulic system. And I'm going, you know what? I haven't signed for the jet yet. I haven't looked at the book yet. And this is still your jet. So uh, I got up from my seat and I had him, you know, you go ahead, pressurize everything you have to pressurize, you know, work the parking brake yourself and, you know, let me know when it's done. It's just one of those things where you don't want to open yourself up to uh, something going wrong and then you being liable mm-hmm. for it. So, Yeah, you know. don't want it to be your liability for sure. Exactly right. That's one of the things, I mean, I... Uh, Remember the first time when, when I first upgraded to captain, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from anyone was to always, always, always think like a lawyer. Always think like a lawyer. You know, yep, just kind of anticipate that uh, no matter what. Good which advice. is which is uh, right thinking because we love the lawyers. Mm. <laughs> All right. What do you call a uh, hundred lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? A good start? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. All right. Um, if, if you're a lawyer, you can, send your, you can send your feedback to Nick at Airline Pelican. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm offended at Airline Pelican. <laughs> I'm, I'm an offended lawyer yeah. at AirlinePilotGuy.com. <laughs> All right, moving on quickly. Um, the uh, saw this, uh, and many of you who are members of the Experimental Aircraft Association, or the EAA, uh, received that in your email inbox. Very likely, um, support the spirit of aviation—a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you. Our surprise special auction is now open for bids, and you won't want to miss your chance at this once-in-a-lifetime package. If you want to acquire one of the most unique and sought-after type ratings, this package may be just for you. No, it's not the Airbus 320. It is, with only two available for bidding, the B-25 second-in-command type rating package allows you to acquire a second-in-command type rating at the controls of a World War II bomber. 
the B-25. It, it includes eight hours of ground school instruction with EAA's ground school instructor and three hours of dual instruction with EAA's uh, CFII, MEI, B-25 type rated instructor. This package is also all-inclusive, meaning your transportation, lodging, and meals are paid for. And uh, the uh, bid opens, or no, the bid's now open and closes at noon on August 24th, which is about three, four days away from when we're recording the show right now. Four days. Four days. Um, and then there's a little bit more information here that I pulled up regarding the uh, the airplane and um, a little bit more information about the North American B-25 Mitchell medium bomber. So uh, we'll have all that information in the show notes. If you, uh, now I don't, I'm not clear if you have to be an EAA member. You probably do. But uh, if you're going to bid $20,000 plus, for this package, you could probably afford the seventy-five dollars or whatever it is to uh, join the EAA. I wonder I if they so. give you the uh, the uh, the Jimmy Doolittle endorsement, where uh, you take off from a carrier. I know, you yeah. know, they do mention Jimmy Doolittle here in the Doolittle Tokyo raid, but there's no mention of actually taking off or landing on an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't to think you're going to get that. Experience. Even Jimmy didn't have to land on the damn. Well, that's carrier. right. He just took <laughs> off. Exactly. He, he just took off. <laughs> that was yeah. hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he was anything, anything or anybody, he would have landed the darn thing on the yeah. carrier too. Oh, and by the way, if you feel like you might need um, additional instruction, it's available uh, at a rate of thirty-five hundred dollars per hour. Ooh. Well, uh, maybe not if you feel like you need additional instruction. Yeah, or maybe they you feel like you need additional instruction to get that. Yeah, that's yeah, true. You know what? Vibrating. I'm not comfortable. Those three hours didn't be, uh, quite do it. So yeah, um, no. just <laughs> be a few more hours if uh, you don't mind writing that check. Uh, just yeah, please. And go ahead. I think your you're going to need. Card. And we're just going to op- just leave it open. You're probably going to need a couple of extra you. hours. So just yeah, start with ten thousand dollars. In addition to yeah, that. and I don't, I don't think, I don't think they make level D simulators for B twenty five. So yeah, no. probably not. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. You don't see this kind of thing very often. Two of these. Uh, so get your bids in right really now, cool folks. Yeah. When I pulled this thing up at at the time, the current bid was twenty thousand two hundred, and the starting bid for the second one is twenty thousand. So get at it. Or Big if money. you feel like you don't want to do that and you want to contribute to the APG, we do have the coffee fund. Don't forget about that. I mean, if you want to give us twenty grand, we're, <laughs> we're not very grateful. <laughs> but just saying, it might be a little easier on your pocketbook. Yeah. For also for a good cause. Yes. We're not charity. Yeah, probably wouldn't be quite as fun as flying in a B twenty five. But oh yeah, and we, we thank you for mentioning that we are not a charity. <laughs> so no. all contributions are not tax deductible. That's right. For twenty thousand, yeah, but I, yeah, maybe you're right, job. Liz. If for twenty thousand dollars, I would probably go through the process of making us a, uh, a nonprofit. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, Jay, um, an American. No, this is oh, wow. it's a local story. This is me. so, and you know the 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 local news outlets there in Charlotte are just right on top of this stuff, right? Uh, yeah, they're. Oh yeah. Is oh, yeah. Uh, is that supposed to be a kangaroo? Um, <laughs> well, like something else to me, but it looks, yeah, it looks more <laughs> like part of a kangaroo looks more like an erect, uh, Steph knows something. what it looks like. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about the little image of a, the it'll, flight. It'll path. be in the show notes. Still. Yeah. Well, you're CLT the stand for, uh, Charlotte, Charlotte. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just asking for a friend. Uh, 
<laughs> I think I actually uh, that's coming yeah, Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Do you Just want me to read this one? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. I'm trying to find the right thing. To uh, family show, ladies there we go. and gentlemen. Family show. Okay. Right. American Airlines Flight 567 left from Phoenix, Arizona, and was scheduled to land in Charlotte at 1.57 p.m. North Carolina. The flight missed its approach. Ah, Did it? Oh, God, um, the horror, the horror. Uh, at Charlotte Douglas International Airport, had to conduct a go-around before landing safely. Okay. Say, did it catch up to it? Um, so <laughs> the um, let me let me play the audio from this. I think this will help kind of kind of set up this whole thing. It's early in the morning. Please. On um, no, it's not. It's one fifty-seven p.m. Oh, never mind. It's it definitely was early the in the morning. There's thunderstorms. In the, it was early in the, in the morning when they left Arizona. <laughs> But when they yeah, arrived, we are, we are three hours behind everybody. Here. Yeah. Okay. When, uh, when they arrived, it was, yeah, perfect time for thunderstorms. And if you look at the little, little, uh, flight path, uh, picture, yeah, I believe this was last Wednesday and yeah, that's, that's about right. Yeah. There was some thunderstorm activity just to mm-hmm. the West of the Charlotte international airport. And let's take a listen to the ATC audio. We're right on Charlie ground point nine and no delay off, please. All right. Charlie four right on Charlie ground point nine or no delay. No delay on the roll. Hurry. Minimum spacing. Oh, what happened? I had some sound effects in this. Oh, darn. Uh, it was just a big yeah. gap now. Well, this is kind of showing you that uh, some time elapsed between the time that he cleared the aircraft for takeoff and do, the other one do, was two miles do, out do. Uh, for landing. He's using the wrong call sign. He's saying 576 instead of 567. A little dyslexic moment. A little bit of dyslexia. Darn it, I really need to find the... the one where I have my nice sound effects in there. Oh, well, maybe I'll just have to put that in the uh, audio-only version. I had, I had like a little, um, um, what do they call those those drums? Um, timpani drums, mm-hmm. like drum roll. And then um, another... Like building the suspense? Yeah, building the suspense. And then another little sound effect in there, too. But, hmm, oh, well. <sighs> All that work for So, nothing. really, this is only newsworthy because the news... It was a slow news day. What you know, like if they if they reported on every go around at the Charlotte Douglas International Airport, uh, they'd have a lot of stuff to cover. (laughs) You know, I believe something similar happened to a friend of ours, um, also in Charlotte, not very long ago either. Um, If he's listening, maybe he can send in his version of events too, because it was basically the same thing. Colonel Jeff, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's this this kind of thing. So what happens here is that they're trying to get a whole bunch of airplanes um, off, you know, the ground and also recover airplanes at the same time. And it sounds to me like the first call was to somebody like 
quickly get off at this next taxiway exit um, so that I can clear this other American flight for takeoff. And then when he gives him the takeoff clearance, especially when he says, you know, no delay. In other words, okay, it's going to be tight. And so this guy's coming in, 567 is coming in on a two mile or less now final and watching the airplane that is on takeoff roll roll down the runway and you're kind of thinking to yourself like is this going to work and that's sure what the uh, air the tower controller is doing too going okay come on come on come on come on get airborne get ah shoot it's not going to work 567 go around and there's a little bit of a delay there in his reback this is kind of it's shocking to you go what go around really ah um, and then of course, you know, he gets a vector off. So there's no conflict with the airplane that's taking off and they warn or the tower controller warns each airplane that, Hey, you have somebody just lifting off and you have another guy that was coming in for landing, but now they're on a go, but they're, they're divergent, uh, and it's not going to be a problem. And the, uh, even the news report <laughs> says, uh, the flight did a go around, which is not uncommon, <laughs> So I'm thinking, well, I, I don't even know why they that, right? like they picked up on this. Like, were they? Well, it's usually when the there's airport? a reporter on the exactly. Flight. I bet they're the going, wow, that, oh, that's worth me writing down or whatever. It was probably <laughs> on the flight that had to go around. Mm. Yeah. There was a reporter at uh, Fox 46 <laughs> in Charlotte <laughs> that was on the airplane, and it was yeah, just it. they thought they were going to die, probably. Like, oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, going to die. Yeah. Anyway, I did I did a little quick calculation here. An average speed of 140 knots indicated approach speed. Um, that's you'd be covering 2.33 nautical miles per minute, and the time that elapsed between when the controller um, cleared that guy for takeoff and then they controlled the flight coming in for landing was like 35 seconds, and that would be about 1.36 nautical miles coverage. So, in other words. That uh, flight just about to land was less than a half a mile from touchdown. It may have worked out, but I don't think the tower controller was willing to. Yeah, know. but at some point they can't take that. Yeah, you know. yeah, they have. They're going to get a ding. They're going to. Mm-hmm. They're going to. You know. Yeah, get in and there's another issue. What if? What if the airplane that's taken off has to abort the? Uh, you know, exactly. the, uh, reject the takeoff, and then you and know, all I'm of a sudden, sure there's a certain amount of spacing them. that they actually need. Yeah. Exactly. Now, one of the things I kind of object and I put in my little editorial comment um, in this report from Fox 46 is they said the flight missed its approach. And I said, no, it didn't. <laughs> um, and then they had to conduct a go around before landing safely. And I said, no, the air traffic control directed the go around. So in other words, a missed approach is usually because, you know, you can't you don't have all the information, all the visual um cues to continue safely for landing and then or like you're still in the weather and then you you execute the missed approach procedure which is very much like a go-around and so you know i know not expecting the journalist to get the terminology absolutely correct but anyway yeah there you go we're here to educate but that's right the most important thing about this whole thing was this little picture of the uh, flight path. Everybody needs to check out. <laughs> that's the real reason why this that's is the real in, the, in the news. Yeah, so and then finally, and then finally, Air Force One, in this case, a U.S. Air Force C-32, or most people would look at it and say that's a Boeing 757. Uh, and the reason why it's Air Force One is because the president of the United States was aboard the airplane at the time. So 
that becomes Air Force One, was nearly hit by what appeared to be a small drone as it approached an airport near Washington, D.C. on Sunday night, according to several people aboard. The device, which was yellow and black, shaped like a cross, was off of the right side of the plane. It was seen by several passengers on the jet, which occurred shortly before the plane touched down at 5.54 p.m., The Secret Service didn't immediately respond on Monday to a request to confirm the reports, and this is from Newsmax.com. The North American Aerospace Defense Command, which coordinates air safety or air security issues in North America, referred questions to the Secret Service. The Federal Aviation, we don't want to answer them. The Federal Aviation Administration referred the questions on the matter to the Air Force. Everybody is passing the buck on this one. There you go. While it has been notoriously difficult for aviation safety investigators to verify such fleeting events, it appears to be among the thousands of such safety events or incidents involving unmanned devices in the U.S. that have prompted calls by law enforcement and homeland security agencies for greater measures to rein rein in their use. Um, And then it goes on to talk about, uh, you know, what the risks are of an airplane, an airliner hitting a a small drone and such. Anyway, you know, it was just the last show we were talking about a helicopter, U.S. Air Force VIP helicopter uh, was shot at and uh, actually was hit by the bullet and um, injured one of the people aboard the helicopter. And now we have a drone. Now, this might be, you know, no connection whatsoever, but uh, just interesting that we have a couple of events, similar events, you know, uh, risks toward um, military airlift in the Washington, D.C. area. You think it's a conspiracy, Jeff? I think it might be. That's what we're going to say. Definitely a a connection. It's a connection. (laughs) I think that the bullet that was shot at the helicopter came from this little drone. That's what I think. Ooh, so it's a a (laughs) fancy drone. Yes. Weapon-bearing drone. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just kidding, of course. Okay. Well, probably not much else to say there. Just... uh, Wanted to look at that really pretty picture of the C-32 in uh, VIP colors. Pretty I don't cool. blame you. It's a good-looking jet. It is. All right. With that, I think we need to go ahead and uh, get on oh, to... Oh, we're not doing the Manila door incident? Well, okay, we can, since since you just mentioned it. Pulled I forgot to tell everybody we're not going to do it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, you can cut that bit out in post. Yeah, I could. Or we could just quickly cover it and knock it out. It's really not much to say about it. Um, looks like this happened in Manila. A 777-300ER was um, at the gate, and uh, it's an Emirates uh, version. And uh, it was damaged at the Manila airport after a jet bridge malfunctioned. Sure, that's what they all say. Um, <laughs> looks like it tore the door off. I mean, that's a powerful jetway. To, I know. I was a bit surprised at that myself. That's a beefy door on that airplane, right, Rick? Yeah, it is a beefy door. It's a beefy door. It's a beefy hinge, um, and it uh, it tore it right off. So that tells you, you know, it's. Uh, I wonder what happened to the thing. Uh, but for for it to just rip the door like that it says a lot about those jet bridges. I'm yeah. sure it wasn't. I mean, it looks there. like it's definitely sitting up too high on the. You know, yeah, like you think, <laughs> like a lot, yeah, <laughs> a lot too high. Yeah. yeah, it looks like it just scooped up that open it door. Was just like, whoop. and and yeah. wow, I'm sure that it must have lifted up the airplane quite a bit before the hinge broke. Wouldn't you? Yeah, imagine? I don't think it got to that point. But no, nope. uh, oh. no, no. I think I think the uh, I think the door well, gave way first. The, yeah, the door must have given way, and I think the 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 um. The, um 
they it has to be built with a actually i know for a fact it's built with a with a with a weak point in the hinge so that if that happens the frame itself is not warped because it's a plug type door uh, so um, yeah so uh, I see. but still it doesn't it's, it's it's still a very expensive uh very expensive fix oh yes uh, the crew like probably the rubbed their hands right the crew probably rubbed their hands with glee and went to collect their allowances for another week in the hotel. <laughs> We're going to be here for a while. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I'm exactly. sure that it's payroll deduct for um, the employee operating the jetway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we can cover that. 50 bucks per paycheck for the rest of Ever. their life and the lives yeah, of all their... Item. Uh, your families and your family's families. families. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a long time before they pay that off. Mm -hmm. Ugh. All right. That's it. I think now it's time for one of the best parts of the show. My favorite, actually. Well, other than the plain tales, which is that time in the show where we kind of get all caught up with each other and what's been going on. So um, let's start with a person who hasn't been with us for quite a while. And that person, Miami Rick, how you been? I've been good, uh, just like I shared a little while ago. Doing a lot of flying um, between uh, uh, Tokyo and Sydney. Um, we have a, uh, a base out in Tokyo where we do the bulk of the uh, DHL flying down to uh, uh, Australia and New Zealand. And so um, did a lot of that. Uh, obviously, on the other, you know, the, the, the backside of the clock, I guess, on the... Uh, you know, well, when it was daytime over there, it was nighttime over here. So uh, it was a little, little difficult to uh, coordinate when I'm on the opposite side of the world. But it was good. You know, a lot of good flying. Uh, it, it was uh, interesting in that uh, four of those uh, six round trips I did, I flew with uh, two other captains, which is uh, something that's not uh, doesn't happen usually. That uh, is so that trust was interesting. You or what was the idea? Uh, um, somebody didn't trust somebody there. Apparently, <laughs> got to keep a really uh, close eye on exactly. This guy. So uh, <laughs> it was it was kind of interesting uh, walking around with uh, with 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 two other captains. But uh, it was it's good. You know, I mean, I I, I knew I, I knew all of them. Uh, actually, uh, one of the one of the two guys uh, was in my upgrade class, and so we went through upgrade together. Uh, so that was that was that was interesting as well. Um, the flight itself was 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 great. Um, about ten hours each way, so it was, uh, it's about uh, as long as you want to be in a in a seven six without uh, any proper rest facilities. You know, kind of like the seven four has, where you have a you know a bunk and stuff like that. So uh, it's it's a little a little uncomfortable. About you know the eighth or so hour. Do you have any kind of a uh, special seat setup or? Yeah, there's a, there's a seat. Uh, there's a seat. Um, I guess the 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 first observer seat, the one that kind of sits bit behind uh, behind and between the captains and the FO. That seat um, it reclines quite a bit, and then you, it, it it's on a diagonal track, so you can you can push it back, and then it swivels ninety degrees. So it's kind of out of the way, and you can you can stretch that seat and and, and recline that seat quite a ways. But but still, it's it's not. But you're in the cockpit the whole time, right? So yeah, you're in the cockpit the whole time. So you hear exactly. all the noises and, going on in the cockpit and everything else. Well, yeah, that, and then and then you have uh, and during the daytime, you really can't get much rest because the, those the, the sun is out and it's oh. very very bright in there. And uh, so I'm surprised not, there's not like a um, like 
a special little place just in like after the cockpit uh, bulkhead for for rest. Well, like, some uh, some there is it's called the toilet. Oh yeah, well it's kind of hard to get any rest in there. <laughs> exactly, unless you want to you know just be standing up the whole time. But they do call it the rest um, room sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. A valid point. If, if you take point. if you take it literally, you know. Um, <laughs> I was just doing as but, it told uh, me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, some seven sixes do have do have a uh, a, a rest facility. Uh, in fact, uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the land seven sixes and actually uh, uh, land cargo owns the supplemental type certificate for the uh to adapt a container as a uh, crew rest area and i believe uh, ups uses that now for their uh for their uh, long haul 76 operations so they, they they have that um and uh what else and, and well I was, I was saying the flight itself was interesting during the daytime going down the uh, going down through the equator because you know Tokyo is about 33 degrees north and Sydney is about 35 degrees south, something Mm -hmm. like that. So you're going through that. I just know it's on the same parallel as Charlotte. (laughs) Exactly. So you're going through about uh, 70 degrees of latitude there, right through the ITZ, the intertropical conversion zone. Yes, I love that place. (laughs) Very, very, very active. So during the daytime, it's quite interesting. And and it's just south of Guam. And when you go through and over the top of uh, Papua New Guinea, that high terrain and those those that warm ocean and then and the temperatures make for for spectacular cumulonimbus clouds that you know go up to you know fifty thousand or so feet. So there's no getting over top of those. So you got to find yourself a uh, a way of getting around them without burning too much fuel because you're 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 right there with the fuel. So it's uh I tell you it's uh it's an art getting around that uh, and. Uh, you know, getting down with the uh, with the required fuel. So, uh, but uh, you know, it's part part of the operation. At night time's a little easier because uh, I, at least what I like to do is I like to fly with the with the with the lights basically off. You know, no no cockpit lights on, and then the screens at a minimum, so that you can uh, acclimate your 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 sight to to uh, to you know it being dark outside. Let that rhodopsin build up in your eyes, and um, and. And we had uh, we flew with uh, with a full moon uh, a night, and for with a very bright moon the rest of the night. So it was basically like flying during the day. It was it was, and that makes it easier to get around clouds and stuff. So uh, other than that, layover in Sydney was uh, how can I say this politely? Nice. Uh, we were in a lot to leave <laughs> the room. Unevent- uneventful. <laughs> Completely uneventful. <laughs> Complain, I tell you, completely uneventful. It was, although they they did put. I mean, they do put us up at a very very nice hotel right in in um, right in, in the beach there, mm. in the ocean ocean front uh, rooms with a balcony and stuff. So it's, nice. it was, we were able to see everyone else having fun while we were uh, stuck in the room, not being able to go outside. And uh, Tokyo was fine. Uh, people are just going about their business normally. Things are back to normal there. So uh, that's what I've been up to this whole time. Very good. We're glad that it was an uneventful trip. Oh, it was. It really was. So, all right. Well, thanks, Rick. Great to have you with us. Uh, we're going to go with Steph because I have this. I'm getting the sense that uh, she's getting ready to leave us soon. So, just in Not case. Not good about an hour. Oh, yeah, okay. We're, we're good. Yeah. Well, we'll, let's, 
talk about I'm not what, ditching you just yet. That's why we okay. started earlier. So. All right. Um, a little bit earlier anyway. Um, what have I been up to? So we kind of have alluded to the weather in Charlotte. I think we were doing that actually before the, the show started. But um, yeah, it's been, um, gosh, it's just that time of year where there's a lot, potential for a lot of moisture in the air. Um, so we get these really crazy afternoon thunderstorms that start building up about this time of day. I'm sure if I pull up the radar right now, there will be uh, some cumulonimbus uh, development in the area. And um, so it usually rains in the afternoon, depending on where you are. Kind of hit or miss, but usually I seem to be somewhere where it, it rains. Um, pretty good thunderstorms. And then it kind of leaves the ground saturated and it cools off just a little bit overnight. And then in the morning, as the sun starts to come up, the dew point and the temperature like to meet each other. And then you get fog until about mm, noon and then the thunderstorms start again. So it's this like never ending cycle of like really terrible visibility, which doesn't make for great flying conditions. So not a lot of flying this past week because it's Mm. been, um, yeah, just uh, either foggy or stormy one or the other. So, um, but that's okay. Um, just been, um, gosh, I'm trying to, you know, I know I've been mentioning that work's been super busy, so it seems like it's calmed down there just a, a tiny bit. So that's been good kind of getting, uh, just everything else in my life back in order. Um, you know, getting back into working out regularly, eating normally, not eating a bunch of junk and fast food and, um, had a good, good, co- uh, talk actually last night on the phone with my running coach about how to build things back up because, when all the races disappeared off my my calendar, I kind of just found other activities to do and wasn't doing a lot of that. Eating but, donuts. Yeah, you know, but I feel a lot better when I'm working out regularly. So getting back on on that train and just trying to manage time as well as possible. So that's kind of uneventful, but um, I blame the weather and the months of July and August for uh, storm activity. Looks right now, um, looking at... Um, my radar. Well, that's good because I got to get in my car and drive here in about an hour. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks pretty calm right now actually for Charlotte. So maybe it's going to get worse very quickly. Yeah, they know. were supposed to be. So the the forecast for this week kind of called for increasing thunderstorm chance throughout the week. Kind of each day was a little bit worse on the forecast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that's oh yeah, there's really not much going on. Hmm. No, just slide it over to where I am, and uh, well, that's what's yeah it's, yeah especially south of us it's really mm-hmm. looking pretty nasty anyway um only a 70 percent of thunderstorms uh later today yeah same here but yeah, yeah anyway uh not uh not super exciting but um just been hanging out and doing the usual stuff and um good to be here with you guys as always excellent and captain nick how have you been sir uh, I'm surviving. Thanks very much, Jeff. That's I was good. expecting a kind of busy week. Uh, the Bulls match that got rained off, mm. had some torrential rain. I had a photo shoot booked tomorrow. Uh, sadly, the guy's uh, little dog is uh, uh, taking a turn for the worse. So mm. that's been postponed. Uh, however, I have got another photo shoot on Sunday. So that should keep me busy. And then a couple of. Uh, Bowls matches next week, and with any luck, I'll get to meet uh, Pilot Pip and Cap Now uh, next week, um, possibly with airplanes involved. Uh, I'll tell you more about that where, when we get to the show next week. But the most important thing that happened, uh, really, um, was this morning. I uh, got a call from uh, one of our listeners who just happened 
to be landing at a local airfield and asked me if uh, I'd like to get together for breakfast. So we did, and we recorded some audio. All right. Shall I play it right now? Oh, that'd be lovely. Here we go. Jeff, this is uh, Captain Nick here, uh, and I'm in a appropriately named hotel. Uh, it's the Aviator Hotel at Farnborough, of all places. Now, you've been here, and we'd all just like to hear you pronounce Farnborough one more time, please. Farnborough. Uh, well, I'm not so sure, sure about that. But anyway, uh, look, I'm, I'm here at the invitation of the lovely Graham Fig. Now, Graham got in touch with me um, because he uh, was coming across uh, and landing at Farnborough uh, all the way from the States. But I'll let him tell you uh, about that story. And we've had a lovely breakfast together, which I still have to pay for. And, um, oh, I think I might, I might have had my breakfast bought for me. Free breakfast. Free. Um, See anyway. it as part of the coffee fund. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Anyway, uh, I'll let Graham uh, tell you about himself and what he's doing here in Farnborough. Good morning, listeners, and uh, to the APG crew. Uh, you really have sustained me through the COVID uh, lockdown. I've been listening to a lot of your episodes and uh, loved you all just like family to me. And uh, such a privilege to come and meet um, Captain Nick this morning and um, hopefully Jeff sometime soon as well. Um, what brought me here to Farnborough was uh, Gulfstream G4 that I now fly. I was uh, flying in the airlines all my life from a tender age of 23 years old in South Africa and then uh, moved over to Canada from there into uh, Europe where I flew for KLM. Um, beautiful job flying uh, 737 around Europe, uh, 33 d different destinations. I became uh, uh, aficionado on coffee and not so much beer. I know you guys are big beer drinkers, but uh, red wine and coffee. <laughs> and uh, now uh, because KLM have a mandatory retirement age of 56 years old for their pilots, I uh, managed to get a situation in the United States flying corporate jets and I really thrived and loved uh, every minute of it. Right now I'm flying a Gulfstream G4, and yesterday we flew on a very unusual route from uh, Bermuda up to Farnborough. Um, because of the COVID and the lack of tra uh, traffic, really, um, we just crossed one other aeroplane on our whole route across the ocean. It was very remarkable. And uh, landing here, uh, checked into the aviator, and of course I asked for a room with an airport view. <laughs> I love it. I really have um, embraced aviation since the age of 13, uh, 42 years of aviation, 26,000 hours, all really extremely pleasurable. Met uh, lovely, lovely people across the walk of life and um, been very fortunate. Uh, coming across your podcast has been a highlight in the last year or two. And uh, like I say, it feels like I've joined a large family. Thank you for having me, and a pleasure to meet Captain Nick this morning in London. Uh, that's absolutely brilliant. Thanks very much indeed. And um, I, this airplane you fly, uh, I was fascinated. Now, it, it's an executive jet, but it's a Cat D. I wonder if you could explain to the listeners what that means and how the hell you managed to get an aircraft like yours up into Category D. Well, Category D is determined by weight, which determines your approach speed. And um, we're uh, at high gross weight. We're above 140 knots of uh, approach speed, VREF. 
and as a result, we fall into Category D. Most um, airline or airport approaches, instrument approaches, are des- designated Category A, B, C, or D. And um, around the states where I fly, to many, many non-towered airports as well, uh, there is no approach published for Category D aeroplane, which means we have to fly uh, visual conditions. Um, it's very fascinating because you fly into non-towered airports where you set your own margins. You're descending into the hills of Wyoming, for instance. You're talking to Salt Lake City, and eventually you're going to lose them, and you might have to close your flight plan by telephone after landing. And all that time on the descent and until touchdown and until you make that phone call, they have to protect uh, the airspace around you and keep it free of other traffic. So uh, Category D can work for you or against you. Um, it does require higher approach speeds, longer runways, and um, but it's worth the trouble and it's an amazing aeroplane. It's the iconic business jet uh, that uh, our aeroplane is 19 years old. It's got 10,000 flying, 500 hours on it and about uh, 5,000 uh, cycles. So it's been well used in its life. And it's still uh, extremely well maintained. We're a bunch of four pilots flying it, two uh, full-time mechanics, extremely well maintained by an owner who absolutely loves and adores his aeroplane. It's it's interesting. The main reason I asked that was that when I flew the A340, that was Category D. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I moved on to the twin-engine A330, even though it's a very big airliner, it was only Category C. So I just, when you mentioned, uh, as we were talking over breakfast, uh, that you had to do a D approach, I was uh, a little taken aback. A lot of our listeners that that. Would be something you're not interested in, but I promise you, from an aviator's point of view, that really perked my interest. Now, you do a great job flying all over the world. You never quite know where you're going to be next. Uh, what are some of your favorite memories from the places you've been to? I think, Nick, the most challenging airport I fly into is something I fly into regularly in the United States. Uh, probably two, three times a year at least. It's called Aspen, Colorado, which is a towered airport, uh, does not have a category D approach. Um, in fact, there's no approach that we can do besides uh, just a visual approach. However, you descend into a box canyon. The arrival is, uh, uh, f- the published approach is published. Uh, it's a localizer approach onto the runway. And the missed approach is a different back course localizer off a different, uh, off a different, uh, uh, transmitter off a, off a different mountain. So you're descending into this box canyon and all the way in, they're saying, just move a little bit to the north because we're launching two aircraft at you. You land on runway 15 and you take off on runway 33, and uh, it's it's quite a, an experience. That I've sounds also, pretty testing. Yes. You, you, you've got to understand that uh, it's got a very, very high approach uh, glide slope angle, path of 6.59 degrees. So if you're not fully established on final 15 miles out in, in landing configuration, you won't be able to, you know, really make a decent approach. The other interesting um, airport I've been to around the world is Kathmandu in Nepal. And um, that was a fascinating, but not uh, not as uh, challenging, actually, as uh, as Aspen in Colorado or Telluride is in, uh, in Colorado. These airports in the United States, which I consider to be the mecca of aviation, the United States, uh, there's a lot of very challenging pil- uh, flying, and uh, it requires a lot of uh, preparation and a lot of skill. 
That's fantastic. You know, I'd, l I'd love to be able to chat to you for hours, but I know Captain Jeff is uh, hopefully going to meet up with you. Um, so we'll hear more of you on the next show, and uh, I'm sure you'll be able to talk a bit more about that with him. Um, it's been great meeting you. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me up, and uh, a pleasure to uh, chat to you this morning. It's a privilege to meet you, Captain Nick, and to all uh, APG uh, crew and listeners, uh, thank you for allowing, you, allowing me to be part of your family. Yeah, our pleasure's all ours. And back to you in the studio, Jeff. Well, thank you, Captain Nick. Uh, my pleasure, Captain Jeff. <laughs> what, what a lovely guy, though. Uh, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, it, full of stories. I mean, he has uh, really had an interesting aviation life. And, uh, you know, we we could have chatted on and on and on for hours. Sadly, he had to get upstairs. Uh, we left at the last possible moment. He had to rush upstairs, get changed, and then jump in the transport and head out to the airport. But um, it was an absolute pleasure. So uh, thank you very much indeed for shouting me breakfast. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Uh, and let's have some beers. And this time uh, it'll be on me. Or red wine. Uh, which Average is of course. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Coffee uh, and red wine. That's an odd mix. But there I you like, go. That's a good mix. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with it. Nothing I uh, look forward to meeting up with Graham on, uh, looks like Saturday, midday. We're going to uh, do lunch somewhere in Atlanta. So, oh, love it. Oh, nice. That'll be good. So well, hopefully, I, I uh, had no idea about uh, how early uh, pilots, uh, KLM pilots, have to yeah, retire. Yeah, fifty six. Wow, that's, that's really like uh, air traffic wow. control here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Wow, still a young so, person. Well, maybe not yeah, young person. So. I'm guessing that was the old contract. I don't suppose they're on the same contract now. I wouldn't have I thought because most airlines have moved up to sixty five now. Yeah, most have, but I guess if it's an individual airline, uh, yeah, you know. But um, yeah. I would think that they were suffering shortages of pilots. I'm not sure what the situation is at KLM. They'd probably be uh, uh, encouraged to increase the age a bit, right? Well, I, I imagine if uh, when uh, even the king is a pilot, uh, it, uh, that's right. It must be because uh, you know the king of uh, isn't he a, a 737 pilot? I think he so. Used to be yeah. a, yeah. a, a Fokker, Fokker 100 pilot. Mm -hmm. I, th I think so, uh, yeah. I think he's on the 73. Something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. All right. Well, there we go. Um, yeah, and interesting about the uh, the categories as well. Um, I would I would bet. I don't know this for sure, but uh, that that RJ two hundred probably is a Cat D um, because based on the approach speed of the mm. uh, of the airplane. Uh, I believe if if you're more than one hundred and forty knots or higher um, for your mm. uh, final approach speed, then you're into the category D. 127, 165, I think. Yeah, yeah the 727 was a category C slash D, which meant that on straight-in approaches, we were a category C, but if we were going to do a um, circling approach, we were category D because we had to increase our reference speed by a certain amount for maneuvering, and that threw us exactly. over the, the, the next category. But as Captain Nick mentioned, uh, most of the airliners out there are Category C. But, yeah. uh, 121 to 140 on the approach speed, right? Something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you say so. Are I've, I've landed the 74-8 uh, the at over 100, and, uh, and I guess Category uh, E speeds. Ooh, uh, now we're getting ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, when you're coming in, wow. When you're coming in heavy and uh, it's gusty out, you, you land uh, uh, the flaps 25 landing. 
at uh, max landing weight, it puts you in category E. Hmm. It, uh, uh, VRF plus five, uh, over 166 knots. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. But that's the only time, but other, otherwise it's, uh, it's just a category D like every other big jet. Very interesting. All right. Well, um, for me, it's just been same old, same old, um, same old routine. In fact, it's just weird because this morning when I got up, I think I'm thinking, wait, today we're going to be doing a show today. It just feels like we just, of course, after we record a show, that doesn't end for, for me. It's just like, you know, getting not, well, not only me, the entire crew, uh, working on, you know, all the post editing things that we work on. And, uh, captain Nick, uh, starts working on artwork, by the way, um, brilliant artwork for, for the, uh, last episode, we decided to entitle the show, uh, the passive aggressive bunch. <laughs> and so if any of you are familiar with the, uh, the show, the Brady bunch, um, we, we kind of, or captain Nick kind of took a, uh, took a design, uh, cue from, from that and had us all take various, uh, posed normal pictures, normal pictures in our normal <laughs> passive aggressive look. It didn't tr- take much. Uh, it wasn't stretching the imagination. Steph was just pretty much job. a normal picture of Steph. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot that of fun. That was brilliant. I, I had plenty like, of good stuff to work with. Like practiced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. We were we were kind of mentioning and, and the fact that it looks so natural for for uh, Steph. She goes, yeah, because that's pretty much <laughs> the way my face looks most of the week. You know, you know, all this um, having to wear masks and things uh, most of the time. It's actually good for me because it hides some of the facial expressions that I really don't want <laughs> slipping out sometimes. Yeah, just keep this much of my face covered, and then you have to you know, just interpret from from the eyes. Anyway, we got that kind of stuff. Unless going you're wearing on. sunglasses, then everybody's. Well, just, then, you know, yeah. then I'm good to go. Yeah. yeah, you're good to go. So that's the sort of thing that goes on between shows. Um, you know, getting the artwork for the show, and I'm working on editing and such. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, it's time for us to do another show, which uh, which is good. Um, I I'm good for another six months of. Um, First class FAA medical um, qualifications. Oh, I thought you could just say holiday. <laughs> yeah. six months. Oh. Well, I'm I'm ready for that too, but I don't think it's going to be another six months. I think it's going to be. I I just noticed in in my electronic uh, flight bag, all of a sudden now I'm starting to see some manuals for the seven one seven. So you know, that's usually an indication mm-hmm. that I'm getting closer. They're just like to sneaking training. them in there, like one by one. They're like, maybe if we just yeah. You know, who gets a hint that he should start reading these? (laughs) I probably should. Maybe a little study. (laughs) I do need to do that. So I'm assuming that I'm still going to training in uh, October on the 717. We'll see. It's not that far But I'm enjoying the time off for sure. So that's good. All right. And so really, that's that's pretty much it for me. So We'll have a nice uh, meetup with Graham tomorrow. I plan on it. I'm sure he'll enjoy his company. Or Saturday. Oh, sorry. Yes, Saturday. I just I just don't want to confuse Jeff since he didn't know what day he's it was. He's easily confused. I know. Yeah. Did he freeze? Where, where, where am I? Am I? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You've, got, you've gone very still. You can still hear me though. My voice isn't frozen. Yes. Okay. That's true. So I'll just uh, I'll keep going, <laughs> and then I guess we can. I don't know what we can throw up there for the uh, coffee fund. I don't think you want to see my frozen picture the whole time. So, or should I try to work on this right now and get this fixed? Do I need to take myself out and then put myself back in? Right, maybe. maybe. All right, Up let me try you. that. A bit nosy, aren't you? 
Nope, still frozen. Huh? Nope. Nope. <laughs> that well, that didn't work. That's weird. Um, unplug your camera and plug it oh, in. Oh, I hate to do that, but okay. Hang on. Uh, I'm assuming I've got time to grab a beer. Oh, at least. Wow. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Come back. Always <laughs> have time. I could do with one. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Now you all are are frozen. <laughs> no, no, we're, no good. we're we're not good. frozen. We're, no, we're I mean to me, back. you are. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah. we're not frozen to each other. Nope. Very good. All right. We're well, defrosted. Uh, what's going on here? Let me see. Yeah. I'm going to do the same. Hang on. Be right back. All right. Oh, wait a minute. is not connected. Hang on. I, the show is all mine. It's mine, I tell you. My device is connected. Ah, yes. Hello. There oh, you are, but you're frozen Still frozen. Again. In a different pose. Wow. This is nice. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. You can hear you fine. Okay. Well, son of a gun. Well, he moved, but still frozen. Just different yeah, he's, frozen. Yeah, he's shifting around the block. <laughs> wow. That's a little less disconcerting because at least he's looking at the camera as opposed to just like. Yes. Oh, he moved a little bit there. Yeah, just a little bit. It just twitched. Oh, and now he's. Oh, he's like in slow motion. <laughs> I should probably just stare with at the, your background. Now he looks uh, like can, he's spitting tobacco. I don't know. I'll turn off the green screen just in case. Just did you? Well, oh, well, it changed. It your, picked up on that, but it's not even. Oh, there, there you go. There you go. Well done. You're on, yep, you're thawed. But you're not lip syncing. Well, yeah, this, you're just the timing's off. Say something, Alec, and watch your lips move. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, no, that's fine. Not bad. Yeah. That's well, that's I, have this, that's I have this screen um, that's showing, you know, the settings screen that won't yeah. disappear. Yeah. And everything is up. Oh. oh, look at that. Now, I think I'm back. No, yeah, and good. that's much better. The very, very strange. You've uh, brushed your hair as well. I, I didn't, but okay. <laughs> But it looks like yeah. yeah. Just with that other background, because he had that little like, yeah, halo effect going on, it changed the shape of his. Just recently had a haircut. Is that? I did. Yeah. I on um. I think Monday. Yes, after I came back from my medical examination, I decided. You know what? Got an FAA medical. I'm gonna go get a haircut. Because they, they just go together. Go and have a chili Yeah, I was going to say, I think everyone has the same. Uh... Is that you saying that, Liz? It was. Yeah. So I, I, I splurged because my, uh, my blood pressure was really good. And I thought, well, I know what to do about that. And I went to the varsity and had a chili steak, a chili dog, uh, onion rings, and a PC. That's just like the, the green light, the stamp of approval. Like Exactly. Blood pressure's good? Yeah. Don't, don't know don't how long that's going to last. All the greasy, bad things. <laughs> So, yeah. So I went ahead and um and uh knocked that out and then I drove home and thought, yep, haircut time. So, got a haircut. There we go. 
<sighs> so I am back, and I think now that uh, I'm back, we can do the coffee fun. So here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. The Coffee Fund is your way, dear listener, to contribute to our fine show. And you can do that becoming part of the Coffee Fund cadre or the Coffee Bar Club. And we call that the Coffee Fund. And that's the reason why we're singing the Java Jive. And since the last episode, we have a couple of recurring donations via the Classic Fund method from Chris Randall and David Lieb. And a one-off donation from George Puttock. So thank you very much, George, Chris, and David, for using the Coffee Fun Classic method. The other way to do it is to become a patron of the show at patreon.com. And uh, got a great group of folks over there um, who pledge a certain amount every episode to help support the show and help, uh, help us offset expenses like web hosting and audio file hosting equipment and uh, well coffee and beer and other good stuff and feedback no not feedback um meetups that's what i'm trying to think of so anyway if you want to be part of that group please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and instructions on how you can join that great group of folks you'll be glad you did All right, time for feedback. And we can probably knock out a couple of them before we get to the best part of the show, which everybody knows is the old pilot's plane tales. But let's start with this one. We have Rick here. We've been kind of pushing these aside, waiting for you to return. And this first one is from Gloucestershire Sauce William. That's what he calls himself. Um, and, uh, he says, following on from the recent discussions on modified 747s, I thought I might chime in with a strange 747 I saw on top gear in various episodes. This plane is visible while a car is being driven around their home airfield test track. I've attached a photo of this airplane with engines resembling those of a B-52. Any ideas on the history of this aircraft? Thanks for the great show. Gloucestershire, excuse me, Gloucestershire sauce, William. You know, I don't think he probably really calls himself that only when he sends in feedback. That's on his birth certificate. APG. You think so? That's exactly <laughs> it. On, on his passport, too. It's, uh, yeah. that's his, well, uh, he, tried, uh, he tried starting up a, a competitive company uh, for the Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> didn't work. Didn't work. Huh. So he stuck it's with just, it. It's yeah. just a lesser known variant. I mean, you can only find it. Yeah, so it's very exactly. exclusive. Very exclusive. Must be. Must be. Mm. It's like the gray poupon of never no, saying. <laughs> so looking at the photo here, I should probably share that with our listeners so they can kind of see what uh, we're looking at. Why is it doing that again? My computer, I should probably have restarted my computer before I did the show. Try the share screen again. Probably a big mistake. Uh-oh. We'll, we'll Has your shot. computer been talking to my computer? Are they? Maybe. I don't know. It's in simpatico with uh, Mm -hmm. Stuff's computer. I'm not sure if I can get the... No, this is about as big as I can make it. 
That's, that's what, what she said. said. <laughs> I, I don't, everybody no, said that's what that's she what, said, and I was actually trying to no, find. That's what she said. I was playing that at the same time, and nobody. That's heard what it. he said to her. <laughs> well, I hope you all we're had ready fun. for that one. Yeah. Family so shed, we're family shed. <laughs> we're looking at this photograph, and, uh-huh. and I'm not able to get the photograph any larger. Um. But if you have any suggestions on how I can get that thing larger, just let me know. Pill? <laughs> yeah, little pink pill. I think there's pill. A, a physician that you need to see about that. Just gonna... You try, try a lollipop stick. It's a uh, blood flow problem. Usually. I love this, love this <laughs> yeah. view right here. Um, I love the way the feedback's covering up Nick's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> there we go. So we're looking at a 747. And I, I swear to me, I'm thinking, well, this must be photoshopped or something, but maybe not. I don't. Do you know anything about? Have you seen this 747, uh, Rick? I have, and I believe it was just a. Uh, it was a movie prop for a uh, 007 movie. It it, uh-huh. it's, it clearly never flew in this configuration uh, with his uh, the uh, engine pods there, and I don't know what those are. The tips there uh, looks like uh, pods Fuel. for uh, <laughs> for. No, either that or or that's where you keep the, the like, refueling basket for uh, um, uh, okay, okay for refueler type aircraft. Um, I don't know, but uh, be no, it, it certainly it certainly never flew like that. Yeah. No, it's uh, not a uh, not a not a production seven forty seven by any stretch of the imagination. Now, yeah. I think actually those double engines were fitted for a movie called Skyfleet S five seventy. The airframe was also used in Casino Royale. Yes, you're quite right. But I think it was the uh, B-52 style engines were for that uh, Skyfleet movie. But Okay. Anyway. Used to be a uh, British Airways airframe, apparently. It's a 200 variant. Uh, mm-hmm. was the city of Birmingham. And then uh, European Air Charter uh, picked it up. Uh, and then Air Atlanta Europe. Uh, and then its last flight, they flew it in a dunce fold, and it sat there as this rather, it's quite often used. Apparently, they try to con people into believing it was a 727 at one point. What? <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a little, a little Very similar. Very similar. <laughs> but... Uh... No, yeah, the 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 dead giveaway that it's a uh, that it's a two hundred. You look at the uh, at the wing to body fairing. It's uh, it's not a clean and as sleek as the four hundred is. Uh, the the uh-huh. on the on the on the dash four hundred, the the wing to body fairing. It uh, the wing basically molds itself into the fuselage. Whereas here, it's you know you can you can see the, you know the, the it's, it's quite a the, quite an angle there, uh, mm-hmm. well, thirty seven point five degrees. In fact. But uh, it's very, <laughs> very. Look at it. It's, yeah, it looks to me like <laughs> it's uh, yeah, 37. No, that, that, that's what it is. Trust me. Between thirty-seven <laughs> and thirty-eight, probably. Roughly. I mean, yeah, roughly. my eye. That's my eye calibration says that. <laughs> so I'm but thinking. There's no transition there. So uh, I, I see this on um, Google now that you mentioned uh, Nick uh, Skyflight Skyfleet S five seventy. A fictional prototype double-deck wide-body four-engine jet airliner manufactured by Skyfleet Aeronautics. The aircraft first appeared in the 2006 James Bond film Casino Royale and was subsequently seen in the 2008 James Bond video game Quantum of Solace. Hmm. Now, when they did this, they obviously didn't realize the danger of putting engines in that configuration in case you get an uncontained engine failure. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. you look at aircraft like the VC-10, they had to be really, really careful to try and uh, uh, make sure that the wall between the two engines was sufficiently strong so that one through a blade, it didn't go straight into the next engine and take them both out. Um, and it was it's never a good idea to put your engines so close if you can avoid it. Although, I'll tell you, from a... Um, from, um, uh, having actually flown the thing and, and, and going through the, through the uh, certification uh, process to become a pilot uh, on it. Um, uh, the final maneuver in your proficiency check right in your type rating is an approach manual approach flown with 50% of your power loss. So basically only two good engines on one side. So uh, it's actually a, a, a maneuver that we that we actually uh, do there. Yeah, I've had to do it in three forty. Uh, and it, and it, it, it's not easy. It is no, it's not, not easy. It's not pleasant uh, because mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've got committal heights where you exactly have to make right. your decision, and once you pass that height, you're going to land regardless. And then, <laughs> if the trainers are anything like you. Uh, Rick, they then uh, drive a fire truck onto the runway in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to try and go around like, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, exactly so. right. And, and it's funny because the on the on the actual checklist, I remember uh, seeing uh, one of the, the step after the whole thing is over. It says uh, go around is not recommended. So yeah. it's basically, it's basically land. It, it can be done. Yeah, it can be done. But good it's, luck. Uh, it's one of those approaches that you want to you want to fly this type of approach. The way I used to do it is uh, I would always stay high on the profile, and I'm talking very high on the profile, so as to fly most of the thing at idle power, in which yeah. dissimilar thrust is not an issue anyway. Until you get very, very close to the ground, and then you have to, you know, put the power in. And by that point, it's time to put the gear down anyway, and you have enough energy. It's 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 a it's an it's an it's an exercise in energy management. What? Yeah, is. exactly. Yeah. Right. You don't want to get behind the power management. curve. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It, it, it's yeah. a it's a clever trick if you do one nicely. It really, you know, if you pull one off nicely, you feel proud of yourself. Yeah. And it's a spectacular explosion if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just like quantum of solace or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to try to do this um, next one quickly before we get to the plain tale um, from Andy. He says, how well do large airliners deal with hills on taxiways? What are some U.S. airports with extreme slopes that you can think of? Captain Rick, I hope you're enjoying the hospitality of Cincinnati as you are here often. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what you know pertaining to the cargo expansions at CVG, Covington Field um, Airport? Ah. Uh. So, uh, oh, just call me Miami Rick. Now I'm calling you Captain Rick. Um, as far as the uh, expansions in CVG, uh, I mean, it's, it's, um, so Amazon, it's going to be having their, their, their building, their, their main facility there, uh, where they're going to consolidate, uh, you know, just basically build up their entire operation there. Uh, the CVG airport has a lot of room for uh this this type of expansion uh now there's uh, another airport we're using just up the road well, not, not not up the road but relatively close uh, up in wilmington where some of the amazon operations also uh, uh being uh run out uh, run out of um but once once the uh facility and cvg is complete which uh looks like it's going to be complete here you know very very soon um they're going to close that operation in Wilmington down and then just basically move everything to the Cincinnati airport. 
Uh, I think what they're doing now is phase one of three. So uh, by the time they're done with this whole thing, it's going to be the apparently the Amazon airport because it's just basically going to be uh, all Amazon operation out of there. Wow. Um, it's, it's quite, it's quite, quite impressive that the size of that building, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, Jeff Bezos, they, he doesn't do anything small. So, uh, it's nope. going to be interesting. Um, as far as the Hills on taxiways, well, it's, um, one airport in particular comes to mind. That's, uh, Denver, you uh, Denver airport is, uh, it's got this one taxiway, um, from, I forget the runway that, that, that it comes off of, but, uh, the, the taxiway that takes you down to where the cargo facility is, it's a, um, uh, quite, quite a steep slope heading down towards the, uh, the, the cargo facility there. And obviously the idea is to try to keep the brakes as cool as possible. Um, so what I do when that's the case is, uh, well, you can do a, you can do a number of things, right? You can do a number of things. One you is taxi with the reverses uh, out. Uh, well, I I do that. <laughs> That's one way. Exactly. Oh, you, Jeff you taxi with could. reverses out. Uh, yeah. No, I do. Okay. I do that too. I do that a lot in the seven just, two with the center. Yeah, you just you just you yeah. just crack them open, you know, and then you know, obviously you you just you just go to idle reverse, you know, just and that that'll mm-hmm. that'll you know redirect some of that air forward that keeps your brakes cool. You can do that, or you can taxi around with a you know just single engine, but you have to keep in mind that you have to you know give the engine enough time to cool down before you shut that engine off. But then also you have to keep in mind that uh, if you're taxiing around single engine, uh, you have to you know taking into consideration uh how tight your your parking uh arrangement is going to be you know you don't want to have to (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) you don't want to uh you don't want to uh, have to run that engine uh past a certain uh power setting because you might cause damage to things behind you um and so um that's 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 that and coming out obviously it's not that big an issue because it's uphill but uh in uh situations where you have uh you know down sloping taxiways on the way out, then obviously try to use as little brake as possible because the the idea here is to keep your brakes cool in case you have to reject your takeoff because hot brakes are no good to helping you uh, stop the airplane. You know, that would make me nervous. Uh, You said Denver. Uh, You know, they're known for having like snow and ice and stuff. You know, that would make me nervous (laughs) going downhill on a heavy airplane. Yeah. Yeah, so just just very 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 slow. Just go very very slow there, and and it's, like it's like like you things, said, you know, you, so, sorry, I could say it's one of the things you kind of learn, isn't it? When your favorite airports, and if you get to one where you know there's a particular slope and a taxiway, you know you can warn your first officer or you can take action yourself. I always think that's really nice bit of knowledge to have, but sadly there's mm-hmm. rarely anything on the plates to give us an indication. On the you know on on the Jeppesen plates that's true. There's rarely anything there, but uh, uh, we have we have um, what are called the company pages, and a lot of this stuff is uh, is, is uh, based on uh, on on pilot input. In fact, uh, all this stuff is based on pilot input. So uh, you know little little gotchas that you might uh, that you might be presented with. And, uh, nice you know, one. Different interesting. Air, they call it theory. company pages, Rick, because that's what uh, <laughs> our company calls. Them. Didn't you say a really, lot of the folks page. in the training? Uh, realm at uh yeah uh, at, acme uh, giant or yeah. from acme from from acme yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of them uh, a lot mm. of them were interesting. Oh, interesting. not not around anymore sadly but a lot of them were so uh, a lot um uh, regarding slopes um if you're in an airplane such as the 727 
that uh, is somewhat limited on its thrust capabilities, and you're taxiing out to runway 26 left in Atlanta, which is going slightly uphill, uh, you are uh, made aware quite quickly, especially on a hot summer day, that if you don't have at least two of the engines running, or maybe all three, uh, you're going to have tough time a tough time of it getting up to the other end of the runway because uh, you know it just takes extra power to, to do it. Not so much on the Mad Dogs. The Mad Dogs, um, comparatively speaking, thrust to weight ratio is is uh, much better. So never had an issue there. Yeah, and and usually for a lot of airlines, I, I mean, I, at least the, the the two airlines that I've flown down for. Uh, you are allowed to do a single engine taxi in and the seven, four, you can, you can even switch two engines out. Um, if you are below a certain weight, but you're not allowed to do a, a single engine taxi out. Uh, you have to have all your engines going, um, prior, prior to departure. And then if you find yourself in this, uh, in a situation where you might have to use uh, crack the reversers uh, on the way out, the problem with that is that, uh, at least in Boeing airplanes, by logic, anytime you crack the reversers, that's going to wipe your uh, takeoff information page off. So all your V speeds are going to go away. Uh, all the all the, the the V speeds on your primary flight display are going to go away. So you're basically sure. going to have to stop, set the brakes, reload everything, make sure that you, uh, make make sure you did it right. So that's not that's not usually a procedure we use on taxi out, only on taxi in. So interesting. At Lagos, it was always a bit of a nightmare for us because it has ups and downs. And, you know, you'll find yourself fighting to get up a hill. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the next minute, the airplane's running away with you. Um, yeah. And they, they also a bit have of a roller coaster these, ride. Putting exactly, your hands out the window. Huge uh, soft spots. So there are big ruts. And oh, yeah. uh, you have to be really careful. It's very hard to judge where your wheels are. But if you're going a bit slow and drop your wheels in one of these, <laughs> the airplane just grind to a halt. And then you <laughs> really, oh, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, there aren't that many important things to worry about blowing away. So you can usually crank the power on and hope no one notices that you're creating the world's worst dust storm behind you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and the other one I always found hard when you're um, coming in on reduced thrust is say you've uh, only got power on your right wing, and that's where your turn onto the gate is. Uh, You're turning right into, so you're turning into your live engine. There's nothing to help you push around the corner, Mm -hmm. and then a lot of the automated systems uh, that we get, uh, it'll share your aircraft type, and it'll be what rating and then all of a sudden half around the turn on it'll go wait because it's lost <laughs> the information yep. you, you we're, recalculating we're, that yeah. happened to me that happened to me you that happened not to me allowed. yep you're not allowed to go any further with a wait there or well, our company used to go mad if you did so we used to grind to all halfway around the turn and now you've got the inside engine and when it finally clears, it's so hard to get it. Oh, there have been times I've had to actually start up the other engine again just oh, to get exactly that right. last mm-hmm. hundred feet. Got to do what you got to so do, close, right? Yet so Funny far away. That, that's exactly yes. what happened to me this last time coming into uh, <laughs> bay number uh, bay number five, was it, or bay number four there in, at the Sydney Airport? We're coming in, a, uh, making it. that last turn there, and um, but, but luckily I left both engines on. Um, 
because that that uh, that uh, parking apron's a little bit of an uphill, which I I, I learned the hard way on the seven four. Yeah, I switched the engines off a little bit uh, too early there, and we, we rolled back slightly. Um, <laughs> Oops, <laughs> I just got had meant to do that. That's yeah, absolutely, exactly. Technique, so um, yeah. So uh, this That's time I just, I know I, I just I, when I park in this in, in Sydney I just leave everything on and and uh, it's just like Nick said you know the stupid thing goes I I saw it it said you know B seven six seven I was like yep that's me last time I checked I go to make the turn and just as I'm making the turn I'm in about about a forty five degree there and the stupid thing says wait and you have to <laughs> stop yeah because you don't know we don't know why it's telling you to wait because the way this thing d- works is that it it has it, it has I don't I mean it, it apparently has a a wide angle lens at the top of it. And it also, and if it sees anything that's infringing or, 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 or any, any obstacle inside the protected box, then it's throw out a weight, uh, a message letting you know that you can't go in there because the area is not protected. And since you can't see your wingtips and when, with these things, with these types of, of parking devices or, or guide in devices, you don't have wing walkers either. So if well, the thing uh, tells you to wait, and you wait. <laughs> you got to you got to think so. about those lawyers. Oh yeah, exactly right. Think about the lawyers. But you know, nine times out of ten, it's because that just the guy just forgot to put another quarter in. So uh, <laughs> really yeah. good, so. he's like searching around his pocket for cheese. Like uh, yeah. anybody got a quarter? Got a quarter. Uh, yeah, yeah, and most of the time, the guy in charge of that box is not looking at you. Yeah, and it's you're not. waving at him. Always going, very encouraging. Get the bloody box working, and he's <laughs> gazing off into the distance. Yeah. Or why is it taking them so long? Very careful. Yeah. <laughs> Be very, very careful. I tell you, the flight is not over until you set the parking brake at the end. It's because it can all go south <laughs> yes. right at the very last turn when you're about to park. You're very you know? true. Very so. true. Well, you know, it looks like it's that about that time for us to do this week's installation of the old pilot's plane tales. Uh, Steph, you want to say goodbye? Yeah. I'm going to have to head out, I think, before uh, Plain okay. Tales is over. I'm going to sit here for a minute and listen to, to some of it, at least. But oh. um, yeah, I've got a yeah. retirement dinner to attend this evening for a co Have a good do. Yeah, thanks. We'll do. Yeah. And um, I'll catch you guys next week. So it's been right. great, as Very always. Good. And see ya. Cheers. Bye. Have fun. Bye-bye. Here we go. This week's Plain Tale. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales Dr. Christmas and His Bullet There are many things that one might want to be remembered for. A fine physician, a pioneer aviator, a renowned aeronautical researcher, an inspired inventor, but perhaps not as the greatest charlatan ever to see his name associated with an airplane, even though his scout fighter, the Christmas Bullet, had a perfect kill record. It killed everyone who ever tried to fly it. William Whitney Christmas was born in North Carolina back in 1865 and he was lucky enough to be given an excellent education. Firstly at the St. John's Military Academy, and then the University of Virginia, where he obtained first his bachelor's and then his master's degree. He moved on to the George Washington University, where he became a doctor of medicine. 
So far, so good. The eminent Dr. Christmas had made a great start to his life. The early 1900s were an exciting time, particularly for anyone with an interest in technology and making money. A couple of guys who built bicycles had invented the world's first aeroplane and were sitting on a potential fortune. Surely, if they could do it, a doctor with a master's degree could do it much better and make a mountain of wealth. In 1908, Christmas, without a jot of experience in aircraft design or aeronautical work of any kind, started claiming that he had built and flown an aircraft of his own design, but sadly he couldn't show anyone as he destroyed the aircraft and all the evidence of it to protect the secret design. Later, he built a second aircraft called the Red Bird, and later the Redbird II, which he flew and patented, despite it being a near-exact copy of the Aerial Experimental Association Red Wing, designed by Thomas Selfridge. He even stole part of the name. In the words of one historian, the eccentric Dr. Christmas was not above employing the ideas of others, and may well have patented another company's design. Nothing had been discovered to show that these machines were the result of Christmas's own work. He managed to persuade Creed Fulton, Lester MacLeod, and Thomas Buckley to back him, and together they founded the Christmas Aeroplane Company. Within a year, Fulton would sue his business partners for chicanery, Christmas asked the court to dismiss the suit, and the cause ended in October 1912. It was struck from the docket with the note, it appearing to the court that there is nothing further to be done therein. Fulton and the others had advanced over $100,000 to Christmas and were left with nothing substantial. Fulton, Buckley and MacLeod faded into history. For Christmas, however, the suit was only a minor blip in his larger-than-life story. Not to be discouraged, he continued to be a presence in air shows, shamelessly promoting himself despite his utter lack of engineering skills or evidence to support his wild claims. With the outbreak of the First World War, Christmas thought that he might have found the perfect opportunity to get back in the game. He wrote an article for the New York Times claiming that he had designed a wonderful new bomber dubbed the Battle Cruiser. He assured his readers that it would be the largest aircraft ever built and promised that it would be a revolutionary success. Manned by a crew of six and powered by a massive 1,600-horsepower engine, he claimed that European allies had already placed orders for 11 battlecruisers. Christmas only had three problems. He had no aircraft, no such engine, and no orders. As his idea to get the US government to fund his imaginary bomber vanished into mist, he did manage to persuade a pair of New York brokers, brothers Henry and Alfred McCarry, to fund a new flying idea, a super pursuit plane called the Christmas Bullet. 
Together, the three men paid a visit to New York Senator James Wolcott Wadsworth, and then to the Continental Aircraft Company of Long Island, where Christmas began to spin a fantastic tale. Using his talent for persuasion, he managed to convince the management, including the brilliant engineer Vincent Bernelli, that his planned aircraft would be the key element in an audacious plot to kidnap Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany. He assured his astonished audience that his aircraft's supposedly incredible performance would allow it to penetrate German airspace, thus allowing America to kidnap the Emperor, forcing the Reich to capitulate. Perhaps fortuitously, the Germans surrendered before this insane plan could go ahead, but even so, Continental Aircraft started work on two designs for the Christmas Aeroplane Company. Continental's chief engineer Bernelli expressed major concerns about the bullet's wing design, but was overruled and only allowed to work on the fuselage. Bernelli's worries centred on the flexible wing design that Christmas claimed was the revolutionary component that would give the aircraft its unparalleled speed and manoeuvrability. Christmas claimed that struts and braces were unnecessary, and that this lack of support would allow the wings of the plane to flap like a bird. Using steel from sawmill blades, the wing spars were made in two sections, welded in the middle, and designed to flex upwards. Despite all indications that the lack of internal support and the presence of vulnerable welds at the critical point would prove fatal, Christmas insisted that this would actually increase the aircraft's safety. The rest of the construction materials were apparently scrounged from available wood and steel stock and not aircraft grade, said Bernelli. Using a prototype Liberty 6 engine on loan from the US military, likely given to Christmas on the insistence of Senator Wadsworth, the Army demanded that they be allowed to inspect the plane and that the engine must only be used for ground testing, conditions which Christmas promptly ignored. Benelli told Christmas the upper wing must not be built as intended, but the inventor had insisted that it be made as he designed. This left a joint that you could have snapped over your knee, declared Benelli. Christmas persisted, covering the wings with a burlap-like fabric that stretched where it should have shrunk, and then gave it numerous coats of acetate dope. According to Benelli, the wings were so heavy that they had to be winched into place, and the tail assembly was considered too small for so heavy a plane. It was a death trap, Benelli said, and then to his horror he discovered that Christmas and his aircraft company were planning on a test flight. Benelli made his concerns known, but was ignored, and so he resigned from the company in protest. The Bullet's first test pilot was a man named Cuthbert Mills, a former Army aviator who was so proud of being selected as the test pilot for this supposed cutting-edge aircraft, invited his mother to watch him take the Bullet on its first flight. 
Mrs. Mills could only watch in horror as the bullet's wing failed a few hundred feet in the air, leaving her son to spiral to his death over the property of one E.J. Jennings. The landing was hard and the unfortunate pilot burned to death. Utterly unrepentant, Christmas would cover up the incident and claim the test flight was a resounding success. In this, Christmas had a collaborator in the form of a writer, D.J. Villett, who penned an article for Popular Aviation, praising the bullet and claiming it was a great success. He wrote that, after the somewhat malicious predictions as to the ship's inability to fly at all were agreeably refuted, the first trial flight took place on December the 3rd. He went on to describe a fictitious event. The Christmas bullet took off after a very short run and showed a speed of 190 miles per hour. The aircraft was described as having inherent lateral stability and a climbing ability seemingly out of proportion to the power available. After claiming a further four successful test flights, the story reassured all by stating that the aircraft was inspected in the factory. Since no defects were determined, a further flight occurred where, apparently, the pilot received explicit instructions to take off and fly a large circle, which should have brought him back to his starting point. However, the unfortunate dead pilot had his reputation blackened when Villette insisted that instead... Mills headed west, skimming over the treetops with a foot to spare, as was his wont, and flew out of sight. When they found the wreckage, despite first claiming that there were no eyewitnesses, Villette insisted that the pilot had executed a sharp turn in a small clearing and struck the trees, planting the blame firmly into the dead pilot's lap. Vincent Benelli who stayed in touch with the project, gave a very different account. Several pilots, he asserted, refused to fly the bullet before Mills agreed to do so. On his first try, the wings fell off and it crashed, killing him. At least I figured, wrote Benelli, that this would be the end of the Christmas bullet. But I underestimated the dock. Despite the crash... Christmas placed an ad in Flying Magazine stating that the Christmas bullet achieved 197 mile an hour top speed demonstrated in front of Colonel Harmon at Central Park, Long Island. I might point out that at the time the official world speed record was only 126 miles an hour. Having wrecked the borrowed engine, Christmas managed to acquire another from the army and then spent months parading the unflown second bullet around Madison Square Gardens and the New York Air Show, claiming it to be the safest, easiest plane in the world, whilst shamelessly promoting his contraption to the media. Flight magazine noted that it would seem that the design and construction of the aircraft would result in a low factor of safety, but reassured readers that the designer claims a safety factor of seven throughout. 
No mention was made of the unfortunate Mills. A month later, Christmas was ready to try and fly the bullet again. The next test pilot was a man by the name of Arlington Jolly, a decorated war veteran who served with distinction in the French Air Force. Shortly after taking off, Jolly lost control of the aircraft which plummeted into a barn, killing him instantly. This incident was also quietly ignored and Christmas and the McCrory brothers would subsequently appear in an issue of Vanity Fair, promoting the bullet's flawless safety record. But without an aircraft to show the Army, the Christmas Aeroplane Company withdrew their design from consideration before an assessment could be attempted. Despite getting away with it all so far, Christmas must have realised that he couldn't keep killing people. Further production and testing of the bullet was halted, although he continued trying to sell the bullet to the military. During a testimony to the House Select Committee on Expenditures in the War Department, he claimed it had dramatically outperformed contemporary British and French fighters. Christmas insisted to Congress that he had photographic evidence of several successful test flights, but the negatives were hidden or destroyed by the government as part of a malevolent conspiracy against him. Employing his gift of charm one last time, he was able to sell his 1921 patent, incorporating his revised wing designs, to the U.S. Army for $100,000. In another version of the story, he maintained that the U.S. Army had given him the money to avoid a copyright infringement suit. But by 1923, and to the relief of those early test pilots, he'd called it quits. Christmas continued to campaign for more funding for further projects, seeking out private and government sources, claiming hundreds of patents or patent submissions based on his aeronautical research. He never stopped making outrageous claims, insisting that Germany had offered him $1 million to rebuild their air force, and that he had invented the aileron, yet somehow never seemed to lose any credibility for it. In reality, the concept of the aileron was first patented in 1868 by British scientist Matthew Piers Watt Bolton, although its development can also be credited to many notables, such as Octave Chanute, John Montgomery, Richard Pierce, Alberto Santos Dumont, Frederick Baldwin, Henry Farman, Louis Blériot, and many others, all of whom have a prior claim to Christmas. However, it seems that the George Washington University continues to promote the myth, crediting him with designing the first plane equipped with ailerons. No one tells this story better than William Christmas himself. Writing to the U.S. Air Force's General Charles Spatz in 1947, Christmas laid out his credentials. My discoveries and inventions has made the aviation industry what it is today. He claimed sole credit for the aileron, the most important invention in aviation. 
among 400 other inventions. After declaring that the present design of planes is all wrong, he finally got to his request, which was to be commissioned by the Air Force to design the fastest plane in the world. His justification was that he'd done it before, in 1918 with the Christmas bullet. That's what stands out as the most unbelievable part of the Christmas bullet story. After misleading a senator, misappropriating an engine from the US Army, manipulating a major aircraft corporation, killing two men and swindling the government out of a large sum of money, Christmas suffered no repercussions whatsoever and continued to live a life of wealth and success. He would end up as the vice president of the General Development Corporation, a Miami-based real estate company that would crumble under the weight of thousands of lawsuits, criminal fraud charges and finally bankruptcy pleadings. By the time that happened, Dr. William W. Christmas, described by historians as a conman and a psychopath, and more generously by the Smithsonian Institute as a pioneer in aeronautical research, would have passed away. His lasting legacy, though, was to build what is considered by many experts in the field to be the worst aircraft ever constructed. What a guy. That is quite the legacy, huh? Uh, you're muted, uh, Nick. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. Yes, you're quite right. That was that was quite a legacy. Uh, and <laughs> a um, I don't know quite what to say about <laughs> it. But, uh, yeah, he, he certainly um, he could certainly talk a good aeroplane. He must have sure. been able to because so many people believe the guy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good answer. I um, I have to say that when I read all the uh, reports, I I thought I wonder if this is someone's trying to spin a yarn here. But the more I read, uh, you know, I I was going okay. Well, this does really seem to be genuine. Um, uh, but uh, what can you do? Uh, you know, the the article that uh, that that. Um, was published uh, about the uh, the bullet. It goes on to expound on uh, Christmas's uh, theories of flight, and uh, he was proposing that uh, flight could be achieved uh, by an airplane with wings like birds, um, and that it was static electricity charges within the feathers uh, that created the lift. And it, it really, the more I read it, the more I went, what? <laughs> what is this guy on? But it, but it was just written in such ludicrous language, uh, semi, you know, semi scientific. And I'm just going, no. Nah, Are we sure that it's not a, f a fake story? Yeah, the, well, I'm not absolutely convinced. But yeah. having said that, I've seen enough uh, lists of the world's worst airplanes, and his mm -hmm. is, is always included wow. to make me believe it's true. I mean, obviously, it didn't have a conscience, um, you know, killing no, a couple of pilots. No, he didn't really care much <laughs> about what he did. Yeah, uh, he, just, uh, he was just after that uh, 
after that almighty dollar there. But uh, oh, that's right. But, but you know, you do wonder. The guy obviously wasn't lacking intelligence. He, no. you know, he got a master. Oh, clearly not. Him. Clearly not. Why he couldn't just make his way as a successful physician? I don't know. But there you go. Mm. Too boring. Obviously. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was a, another fantastic one, Nixter. Yes. No, thanks. Nice job. Nice job. Merry Christmas to everyone. And a happy <laughs> bullet to Perhaps you all. I should have saved it to a Christmas. Yeah, really. Could have been a Christmas story. Yeah. Um, let's see. I We have less than 30 minutes remaining, or fewer than 30 minutes remaining in the show. So let's uh, move on with the feedback, if you guys don't mind. And sure. I think uh, per su- suggestion from the producer-director... I think we're going to go to, what is it, Liz, 11? 11 and 12, okay. sort of are up Rick's alley a bit. All right. Um, oh, <laughs> this is a good one. Uh, Dave sent this in from the UK. And uh, <laughs> he says, take that, Qantas, just to show us Brits do it best. The finest at RAF Luton did this. And there's a Twitter account. R.A.F. Luton, and there is no such thing as a, a R.A.F. base at Luton, is there? <laughs> no. Okay. So, uh, it's a wonderful re- spoof account. It really looks uh, very official, and, uh, yeah. and it starts off by saying, Breaking, to celebrate the last flight of the 747 and to show Qantas how it should be done and to show British Airways what they should have done. We sent up a Eurovision typhoon to draw a giant jumbo, yeah, Eurovision typhoon to draw a giant jumbo jet over the UK. And no, I have this. I have to share this. Okay, so let me uh, do it. Yeah, uh, share screen because this is. I think everybody's going to get a kick out of this one. (laughs) It's a very impressive um, flight doodle. Uh, Very, very intricate. Pretty amazing. Yeah, actually. those typhoons must have been three really dimensional. Amazing. So there we go. There's the uh, tweet. Um, wow, look at the detail in uh, that um, 740s. Wait a minute. The windows. That's not a 740s. Yeah, how did they do the windows? I don't know. That's the, I was going to point that out. That's my favorite bit of it. <laughs> they come vertically. Individual they come vertically out and down, don't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, that must be it. Or very, very tight, you know, you know 11G yep. turns. Yeah, little spirals, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was funny to, to the uh, the people commenting. <laughs> it's a fake. It's like, duh. And yeah. other people well, are like thinking this is real. It's so fun. To, uh, yeah, it is. RF, the RF Luton account, and uh, they're just hilarious, whoever <laughs> is behind all this. They are always misnaming aeroplanes. <laughs> and the thousands of enthusiasts that could storming in there, but they do it all the time to everything. And it's so clear to everyone else that this is a joke. But well, here's another tweet. Hards. Yeah. Um, That's my favorite one. So we were most disappointed that the last flight of the 747 was not celebrated, that we sent up one of our stealth bombers to draw a giant 747 using its flight tracker. (laughs) Absolutely nothing there. It's a stealth bomber. That was the best one. (laughs) And uh, here's some information about um, RAF Luton. The assumed 
official Twitter account of the world's most mysterious and secret and fictitious military base. <laughs> so they even say it in a description yeah. of their account. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the 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 little panda on the uh, on the uh, on the insignia there. Uh-huh. It's panda with wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I think that was Dave what Lakeland. Um, I also threw in at the bottom of this in our show notes a beautiful picture of a star lifter uh, heading off into the sunset. Um, uh, that is with, pretty, isn't it? With a bunch yeah, of uh, chemicals trailing. Um, <laughs> yes. Some heavy chem trailing there. Yep, very yeah. heavy chem trailing. It turned on the orange ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I perhaps it was Agent Orange. It could be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. perfect conditions to get away with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Blends yeah. right on in. Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you, Dave. Um, this was sent in by Captain Peter. The queen is dead. Long live the queen. It was with a tear in my eye and a lump in my throat that I listened to the various eulogies regarding the demise of our queen. Now we're talking about, of course, the queen of aviation, the queen of the skies, the 747, not the actual real queen <laughs> in London. Um Anyway, uh, many a subject have followed her to be with her and also discover a world that they had not dreamed of, where never lark or eagle flew. I have news from the royal court, dear friends. The queen lives on. She has decided in the fullness of time not to allow her subjects to self-load dressed as riffraff. However, must be presented to her on a plate or pallet, dressed preferably in cardboard chic. People may still see her. However, only from afar, dreaming of another time. Some may call this aloofness. I call this majesty. And now, for something completely different, one more thing. As a one turtlenecked chap once said, <laughs> good old Steve Jobs, a few episodes back, PARs were mentioned. It brought back, it brought back a memory of a different era which may tickle your interest. However, I do ask that once used, you forward on to the publishers of that wonderful aviation tome of knowledge, quote, humorous PARs of the 1980s, volume three, the unabridged version. I can't wait to read the next edition. (laughs) Don't think I've ever read that uh, particular uh, aviation tome of knowledge. I'll have to look for that one. Maybe, you know, it probably should be in the APG library. Yeah, it, it probably should, uh, but you might have trouble finding one. Yeah, well, we can find it if it's out there. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far, no, no, wrong story. I digress. I was a young FO Sprog, a fairly new in the company, flying on the 747 Classic with one of my favorite captains of the time, Captain, shall we say, Tommy. Now, Captain Tommy and I, Oh, and I must mention the flight engineer, so no one is left out. Are we referring to uh, Elton John's Tommy from the Who opera? I'm not sure uh, to whom he is referring. Because that would have been the deaf, dumb, and blind kid. Oh, could be. The Tommy in that that song. Well, let's see. Let's go on with the story and see if maybe that is the uh, one he's referring to. All right, so now Captain Tommy and I, and I must mention the flight engineer, so no one was, no one is left out, we're flying back to our home base on a lovely clear day. The ATC controllers would occasionally ask the home base crews to carry out a practice PAR for their currency, and this day we were the anointed crew. Nowadays we would have to say no, strictly verboten. However, as I said, this was another era, so we said yes, of course. Now, Captain Tommy was a studious type, 
and decided that if we were to do this, well, twere best be done properly. So, being vectored onto the final course, he lowered his seat and moved forward into position, head down, and we were handed off to the PAR controller. Let the fun begin. Left, three degrees, slightly high. Right, two degrees. The drone went on, and Captain Tommy flew the airplane as if it were on rails. The controller was superb as well. It was a pleasure to watch. Approaching PAR minima, we were perfectly in the slot. The PAR controller called minima, cleared to land, and Captain Tommy looked up to see the full underside of the glare shield fairing. (laughs) Did I mention that Captain Tommy had one slight disadvantage, that of being vertically challenged? As you can imagine, after a few choice words, not for public consumption, there was an expeditious, you have control, call as he struggled to raise his seat to at least see part of the flare. It was one of those approaches you'll never forget, in a good way. As an aside, when last I wrote, I was in limbo waiting to see if I was to change fleets, with my current steed operating at 3% of normal operations. Not a happy place to be. I'm now in the simulator phase of my 747 conversion, my fifth full 747 conversion of various marks. I will end my career making a full circle back to the beginning, back with the queen. See previous. I implore all listeners, keep buying that rubber dog poo in bulk. I'll be carrying 120,000 kilograms of it deep in the poo, you'd say. Always blue side up. And this is, again, from Captain Peter. That was very well written, very Very well done, very funny. Good job. (laughs) So just to remind everybody that hasn't, you know, new aviators probably have no idea what a PAR (laughs) approach is, right? Uh, Precision Approach Radar, I believe that's what the PAR stands for. Yep, PAR. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, a very uh, specific type of radar that is aimed in a very tight sweep uh, that uh, they can – they can react to and see very, very slight changes in an aircraft's course. And they also have a radar that's doing the same kind of a, a very tight scan in a, in a um, vertical uh, position. And so you can see the glide slope. So, you know, it's like yeah. an instrument landing system, an ILS approach, except that there are no electronic beams. They are, here we go. Let's see, I'll try to do the up and down and side <laughs> to side. Um, that is exactly what it looks like. You'll have to look at the video. Um, I'm using my hands, of course, to describe. And uh, anyway, a good PAR controller is worth his or her weight in gold because they can they can get you right down to exactly where you need to be. Uh, hopefully, that the weather conditions are are appropriate to see the runway and land. Yeah, yeah I had a 200 foot break off normally. Yep, same as uh, an ILS approach usually. And in wartime, if the conditions were that bad, that you get the SATCO on, and I bet you he could talk you down under the tarmac. Probably could. Yeah. Yep. Probably mm. go, okay. Slight failure, slight flare. Okay, touchdown. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, we are. I've, I've never oh. I've never flown one uh, in, uh, in, in real life, but uh, I, I've done them a couple of times in the sim, and um, you um, – at least the way I've done them is uh, you're an autopilot the whole way because uh, you're the, the changes are so minute 
that uh, you, you know if, if it's it's I don't know I guess you could but how do you steer a single degree to the right and a single degree to the left or reduce your rate of descent by a hundred feet or so so it's no mm-hmm. way of doing that unless you're actually doing it through the through the autopilot. Um, well, there was a famous uh, joke around the Air Force when I was in uh, about exactly that, Rick. And uh, this pilot was was having a go at his controller saying, I can't possibly fly to one degree heading changes. Give me something decent. So the controller said, all right, turn left five degrees. And he said, oh, that's much better. He said, now turn right four degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. nice. I like it. Now, you know, you say uh, whether you're hand flying or autopilot. Well, I've only flown a PAR approach in an airplane that does not have an autopilot. Yeah, wow. we, we, uh, in the Phantom, we used to fly our ILSs and PARs. Of yep. course, had no autopilot. So, uh, T-38s. Yeah. But, uh, well, T-37 and T-38 I was flying. And, uh, yeah, they were actually giving us one or two degree heading changes. And, uh, yeah, just kind of you kind of thought about it. And then the airplane. Kind of, yeah, give, yeah, give it a slight nudge. You, you, just, you just look that way, and the airplane just kind of exactly. Yeah, sometimes you just lint <laughs> on the rudder a tad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Well, very good. Thanks again, uh, Captain uh, Peter. Uh, moving on to five. Uh, Tony, Tony Fletcher sent this in. He says, Hey, Jeff, hope this note finds you well. Just wanted to say that Colin passed his check ride yesterday. Another flying Fletcher. And uh, we've got to put up a the little... That's very apt, actually. Doesn't a Fletcher make the uh, the back of the arrow um, for, you know, for yes. people who shoot arrows? Oh, I have yes. no Fletcher, idea. Fletcher I've never heard puts of the feathers on the back. Oh, really? Is that uh, yeah, that's what a, a Fletcher is? Like, yeah. A profession, yeah. that's what Liz is saying. Okay. And uh, an arrow flies. So that's there you very go. apt. you got well, a flying very Fletcher. Nice. Here's a photo of uh, the young Fletcher. Good job. And, uh, good dr- oh, yeah, we should uh, play the applause and congratulate him for Definitely. Absolutely. passing his check ride. That's awesome. By the way, I well, believe this is the one who uh, took that beautiful picture of the uh, Mad Dog leaving, uh, leaving oh, yeah. Washington. By the way, I could read that little bit of paper that he's holding there. Can you? And you know what it what says? It say? No, what does it say? It says, the nose will look like this before I took off. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> yes. That's great. Congratulations, Colin. And uh, six. Uh, this, oh, six. Okay. Um, Steve Allen uh, sent us some audio feedback. Let's listen. Greetings, APG crew. Steve Allen here from Madison, Wisconsin. I hope you all and your loved ones are safe and well during these strange and trying times. I've had the highest status on Acme for several years now, and I normally take 20 or more business trips per year, most in the United States, but also several countries in Europe and the occasional trip to Australia and Singapore. Since COVID broke, I've had 10 trips canceled, including to Melbourne and Amsterdam. This is now by far the longest stretch of no travel for me in 15 years. I'm excited that I'm finally traveling in a couple of weeks on Acme, of course, flying out to Salt Lake to meet my new grandson. Probably no business travel for the rest of the year, though. Captain Jeff, it sounds like you and I were at Travis Air Force Base at about the same time. I did my pediatric residency at David Grant USAF Medical Center from 1987 to 1990. 
Then the Air Force sent me to Minot, North Dakota, to pay Uncle Sam back for putting me through medical school. As people assigned there are wont to say, why not Minot? Freezing's the reason. It's the coldest I've ever been. The sign on the main gate says, only the best come north. I got invited to sit in the jump seat of a KC-135 returning from a medevac flight shortly before I finished my assignment there because I was the pilot's kid's pediatrician. It was quite an experience. I was rather surprised how late it seemed that they lined up on the runway during the approach. I recently discovered your great podcast, and I've been enjoying catching up. I recently listened to you discuss aviation movies. There's one that you didn't mention that I highly recommend. It's Strategic Air Command from 1955, starring James Stewart and June Allison. They even got a cigar-chomping look-alike in Frank Lovejoy to play a version of Old Iron Pants. As a proud former member of SAC, I really enjoyed the movie, even though it was a bit corny in that earnest 1950s way. It's in Technicolor, and the B-36 and B-47 flying sequences are spectacular. The B-36 is an amazing plane, and this color footage shot with extensive Air Force cooperation is hard to beat. I got to see the B-36 at the Air Force Museum at Wright-Patterson a number of years ago. It's huge. I hope you got to see it among the many amazing planes they have there while you visited last summer. Stay safe. Well, Steve, we did. We saw that uh, B-36 oh, yeah. there. and definitely one of the exhibits I was determined to see, having done a play tale about it. Uh, when it, they when you guys dropped a nuke on the Canadians, which I think upset. Hey, hey, let's don't talk about that again. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes happen. Come on, <laughs> could happen to anybody. Well, they call the peacemakers. And I believe you uh, have a piece of this. <laughs> when we talked about the uh, the movie that he's talking about, Strategic Air Command. Uh, I think when we were we did, yeah. Uh, it's a great movie. I mean, you don't have to worry too much. He he's a baseball player or something, isn't he? And uh, Anyway, uh, it is a good movie, mm-hmm. um, but the the flying sequences they they're just unbelievable. They don't necessarily mix it with the plot very well, but there's no. some brilliant photography. I yeah. love seeing those old aircrafts. Just like the flying sequences in um, Top Gun, really don't. Oh yeah, have <laughs> yes. anything to do with the plot of the movie. Hopefully, either. they'll be better on the new yeah. Top Gun. Can't wait. <laughs> but who cares? It's just fun to see airplanes flying around yeah. like that. All right. And, uh, oh, I was um, close, Stephen. I was at Travis between 1983 and 85. And if you were there 87 on, we'd just miss each other by a couple of years. Anywho, um, yeah, let's move to, I believe, what we say, eight? Eight. Yeah, eight. So um, we were talking about the, now I have to really think about how to pronounce this. Alcan, Alcan, Alcan Highway, or actually the town of Alcan. And well, here, let me just let Yukon uh, or Morgan tell you about this. Hey, APG crew, it is Morgan from the Great White North, all the way up in the Yukon Territory. And don't let anyone tell you differently, it is the Yukon. Uh, so on to the pronunciation of A L K. A-N. It is, uh, it is in fact, Alcan. Made me laugh listening to the way Jeff pronounced it two different ways. I had 
I was covering my bases. Uh, never heard it pronounced Alkin. Kind of made me think of Vulcan. Anyway, um, no, it, it, again, it comes from the Alcan Highway or the Alaska Canada Highway, now the Alaska Highway. Um, and it's it, the Alaska Highway's got some got a really interesting history uh, from its speedy construction back during the Second World War to being handed over to the Canadian military to then being handed over to uh, the government or I guess the uh, the civilian side of things. Um, unfortunately, you can't drive the highway as it was uh, today. It has been rebuilt into a safer, straighter highway. Um, although, if you ever get the chance, and I highly recommend driving it at least once, uh, you can still see remnants of the old highway intersecting and, and stuff. And there's still sections of it that, that are still used, but it is an absolute, absolutely beautiful drive. Uh, and if you ever make it all the way up to the Yukon, just uh, reach out to me and I'll bring you guys around to some of the local breweries and try some local IPAs. Well, I'll mm. leave you with that for now. And so, uh, blue skies and tailwinds and uh, happy podcasting. Well, thank you, uh, Morgan. The Yukoner is a, the Yukon Territory. Is that like the Ohio State University? I guess. Sounds very similar. The one and only. The, yeah. So, um, I think uh, that uh, Nick and I should load up or who, anybody else wants to go into an RV and we can uh, head up toward uh, Alcane. Um, <laughs> yes, and, I think uh, we should. Um, don't they have uh, some interesting events up there, dog sledding races or something? I think it's up in, in the Juno, UK? actually. But it does Jun- I think Juno is one of those places where you can't get to except for air and sea, right? plane and boat so i believe so yeah i don't think that uh, that's all on the alcan highway actually oh what a shame that's yeah but we could take a little detour yeah all right i run the uh, you can do the iditarod up there there the, you go uh, how do you spell yeah, that don't, don't go in the winter i have no idea but i know <laughs> it starts with right, it starts in uh, it starts in uh, in uh, downtown anchorage there starts with an uh, i right on, i think yeah, yeah. It starts with, an I. <laughs> that's with a d <laughs> we got it nailed it good one. Oh man all you right could do, you could do number nine. Oh, we can do one more quick, our the, the quick director's telling me thing. okay i thought retirement we were thing. finished here okay um all right so several people sent this in uh, a lot of folks uh these days are retiring and um the uh airline that's very similar to the one that i fly for uh, had a couple of pilots that retired at the same day, the same moment in time. And uh, they're married to each other. They're named uh, Joe and Margaret. And uh, let's see, Jeffrey uh, sent this in. And they, let me let me read this here. This is really adorable and I'm kind of sad I didn't know about this couple until their retirement flight. We've sometimes seen airlines highlight how multiple generations are working at an airline, how a parent and child may be working together on a flight for the first time. And by the way, I believe this is the writer is from the One Mile at a Time blog, onemileatatime.com. Um, but up until now, I haven't heard of this couple, Joe and Margaret, as both fly the Airbus A330 for Delta Airlines. They share their adventures through Instagram, uh, the flying at flying Fayhands. And this past week, they finally retired. 
Joe had been at Delta for 36 and a half years, while Margaret had been at Delta for 35 years. So that's a combined 71 and a half years of service at the airline. Wow. Here's a video they uploaded as they started their very last trip from New York to Mal- okay, I didn't, um I What I did was, they, in the article, they have a couple of different um, videos here, but uh, this is the one I thought was most touching. Uh, the video that they uploaded upon completing their last flight, having arrived back in New York. This was emotional for them as they got a surprise water cannon salute. And so I picked up some of the audio from this video. Again, this will all be in the show notes. You can watch all the videos and, and including the entirety of this video that I'm going to play a little audio excerpt from. And this is going to start from the point where uh, they're doing the shutdown checklist, the last one that either of them will do in their lives as airline pilots. All right, shutdown checklist. Flight's over. Shutdown checklist is over. The jobs are over. They gave us a. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> they surprised us with the water salute after all as we came in the, into the gate, and that's where I lost it. So, a uh, <clears throat> bit of advice for all you young aviators out there the plane you fly is going to be cool, but it's the experiences you have on layovers and the. Uh, places you go and the people you meet and the friends you make that makes all the difference in the world and if you uh, have half the career we had you're gonna love it so uh, thanks everybody for all the well wishes I got inundated with uh, with pictures and messages today it was uh, kind of crazy and uh, Margaret's gonna help me through it here <laughs> hey Joe I got nothing give her a kiss there you go congratulations <laughs> okay. guys thanks Thanks, Jason, for coming with us. Yep. Yeah. That it? Yeah. So, very touching on. They probably brought back memories, Nick. Uh, If only I'd realized it was going to be my last flight. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's probably the best way to do it, right? Not knowing that that's your very last shutdown checklist. That's very true, because I I happen to think there's an awful lot of pressure on you in your last flight, because you've got friends and family trying to get on board, and you've got to think of clever PAs to make. And Mm -hmm. uh, No, no, I was quite happy to drift away. And your your last landing, make sure it's a nice and smooth one. Exactly. And I know how hard that can be. So. Uh, so there you go. Yep. But anyway. uh, congratulations to these two. What a what a wonderful pair of people. Yeah, they absolutely. probably they probably got houses all over America <laughs> and places to go in the winter, places to go in the summer. They've got They're probably going to do and, okay. Yeah, I don't know. They'll be fine. Gonna have any problems <laughs> in their retirement? No. I guarantee they will not. <laughs> all right. Excellent. So uh, Jeffrey, thank you for sending that in. And all of you for uh, sending in feedback to the show. You can do that by uh, sending it to our email address, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. 
Um, we have a lot of great information on our website, airlinepilotguy.com. We have uh, information about our crew and the community and merchandise. We have a Plain Tales page with all kinds of extra information regarding the uh, wonderful Plain Tales that Nick produces every week. Um, let's see, we have the uh, APG library. We've mentioned that uh, at least a couple of times on this show. Uh, our librarian, Tiffany, manages all that for us. And um, information about how to join the coffee fund and uh, a calendar. Not a lot on the calendar lately, except it shows when we're planning on doing our next show and the time and such. So it's worth uh, looking at just for that. And then one of these days when I start flying again, um, I'll put my schedule on there and and, uh, you can have an idea of what's going on with us. Um, And uh, we're on social media as well. So, Nick, do you want to tell them about social media? Social media? God, I haven't done this for a while. (laughs) Um, Okay. I looked up and I went, uh, I panicked. Oh, no, Steph's not here. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we should give this one to Rick. Um, On Twitter. Uh, we are under the handle at APG Crew. And on Facebook, it's uh, Airline Pilot Guy. So just hunt for those. I'm sure you find it. Oh, there Absolutely. you go. Oh, and Instagram, same as Twitter. Yep. On Instagram APG as Crew. well. And we're also on Slack. Let's see, pull up, see if we can. Hey, Hillel. Hillel, Slack time, man. I always hate bothering him like that, but uh, let's give him a little few Is moments. Is he going to put a towel on this time? I think. I, I hope or so. a robe on. Make sure you use a towel this time. I don't want to see him again like that. It's okay. Just... Here we go. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you very much, uh, Hillel, and uh, please make sure you uh, put another towel on. That, that one you have right now is just not covering everything. Jeff, you've got to try these towels. I know. <laughs> that's what we just said. <laughs> it's not a towel. That's a face cloth. <laughs> oh, well, with that, thank you, everyone, for um, uh, joining us today on the live show and also those of you listening to our recordings and downloading them and all that such. Uh, thing uh thank you very much for all of that and oh we can't go without thanking our producer director liz in toronto ontario california california canada (laughs) yeah yeah i know liz i know it's canada so thank you very much for all your uh, help behind the scenes and all the wonderful things that you say in my ear (laughs) they're not all wonderful and until next time wishing you all clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless See you all next time. Please take care. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly, oh, man, oh Airline 